The New Beverly presents the Pure Cinema Podcast. Calendar, March 2019 for the New Beverly. Back in the saddle. Only a few days late. Only a few days late. We apologize. I blame February. Weird month. Exactly. You lose a couple days, throws you completely off. Totally. You know? <laughs> leap year. We'll blame it on the leap year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, we have some special guests joining us this evening. Why don't you... Uh, do some introductions, sir. Oh, good. that's going to be too hard. <laughs> uh, well, from from the, from the new Bev, uh, we have returning in his uh, monthly role. His favorite a... monthly role, we should add. Well, that, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's true. Uh, wait, are you wearing? Oh, you're all wearing name tags, which makes it more confusing. <laughs> uh, Phil Blankenship, welcome back. Hello, everyone. Uh, Jules, who isn't wearing a name tag, but I'm going to call her Jules Mean Machine. <laughs> yes, she's got a great jersey on tonight. You'll have to lean in there to say hi. Cause... All right, hello. <laughs> Jules Do they is... want anyone to know who I am? Yeah, yeah Jules... let's give them some okay. backup. Yeah. Go for it. Background, let you, I'll let you take I'll it. I'll do it? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I am the director of operations for the New Beverly Cinema, and uh, before that I was Quentin Tarantino's personal assistant, and before that I worked at a video archives where I met Quentin. I love so. it. I love it. Long history. And without you, we wouldn't be here. Uh, Without both of you, we wouldn't be doing the show with you guys. So we really appreciate it. And we're having so much fun doing it. Yes. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that. And and we have good reason for you guys both being here today. So we're excited about that. And uh, and so when we we get kind of an early peek sometimes at some of the topics and we try to pick our guest accordingly, this was one of the most perfect (laughs) pairings because uh, Alicia Malone, who uh, we're big big fans of uh, Filmstruck podcast. We both listen to it a lot. Rest in peace. Yeah, I know. It's good stuff. Uh, also TCM, but um, it was actually just, it was actually your new book that triggered the, okay, they're doing uh, matinees that were, as we're going to learn in a second, that were uh, directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had just had the book, the, is it the woman's gaze or the, the female, female gaze? gaze? Yeah. Right. Which I haven't seen yet, but uh, you I just picked one. it up, right? copy. Yes, it's very good. So Thank I like it. you. I Hi. promise to get to it. No, this, <laughs> Welcome. Is, this is actually the perfect month for me. I think I'm going to be spending my entire month at the New Beverly <laughs> because good. you've got, uh, you know, movies directed by women, a classic film starring women in great roles, and horse movies, which <laughs> I am a horse girl. I grew up with horses, and we will get to that. Well, in, yes, interestingly and enough, a lot of our stuff. <clears throat> well, we'll get movies. to that. <laughs> there will be some contention around certain uh, Australia-New Zealand rivalry today, but uh, I assure you New Zealand will win in the end. Oh, uh, <laughs> and we're, we're fighting well, over Russell Crowe in the back, <laughs> yeah. and it's to give each other Russell. We're like, you get Russell. Yeah, he's, he's yours. <laughs> hey, come on, the nice guys is a good movie. He is. No, I look, I love Russell Crowe. Um, yeah, but so let's just jump into it, because uh, unfortunately, you know, we're, we've missed the first couple of days, but there's some, some really interesting programming. So let's uh, let's talk about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the part of the show is to inform locals that can go to the theater and see these. But really, it's more about um, sort of documenting what's being shown. And it's always a great selection of films. So, you know, even if you can't go and see these movies, if you're local, because we're too late <laughs> to get you out to see them, we still want to talk about them because there's a lot of good stuff here. Yeah, I'm less familiar with the two uh, musical uh, films that lead off. And I remember you, one of them was a favorite of yours or not? Yeah, no. So on the first and second of the month, we had uh, Let the Good Times Roll and American Hot Wax. Uh, both, I believe, pretty rare movies. Uh, definitely American Hot Wax, which is the one that I am a fan of, directed by Floyd Mutrux, who did uh, uh, Loha Bobby and Rose, uh, oh, Hollywood Nights. Nights. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a an interesting, um, you know, American director uh, who uh, he's kind of like I think of him as like a George Lucas Jr. in terms of like the American graffiti use of music soundtrack stuff. He's like hmm. really great for that. So anyway, American Hot Wax is about uh, 
uh, what's his name? Um, Alan Freed. Alan Freed, yes, DJ Alan Freed. Uh, and it's a really neat movie, just sort of documenting a bit about him and his influence. New York City, 1959. The battleground was rock and roll. You're making them behave like a bunch of animals. Give me clothes to show. Stop rock and roll, don't you know that? It was the beginning of an era. You should have been there. American Hot Wax, rated PG. I like it a lot. It's it's one that I think got a VHS release, like a magnetic video film. I think it had a photomat VHS photomat. release. And then Paramount put out a CED, but otherwise it's never been officially available on home video. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, music rights, I'm guessing, is the issue probably. Yeah, and Chuck Berry's in it, and he's... Hmm. Uh, very controlling of his catalog, so I oh. can only imagine that also had some issues. Interesting. I didn't know it's wall-to-wall music, sometimes by original performers, sometimes by not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's really great. And uh, so if you can, I don't know how you're going to see it, but uh, <laughs> but it's definitely worthwhile. Now, what do you guys know about Let the Good Times Roll? That's one I haven't seen before. I had never seen it before, but I was super excited that we were leading off March for that because Quentin was super excited Mm -hmm. for this. In fact, when we were talking about it, we were going to try to play it in February, but uh, there was a problem with the print. And Quentin's all, you know, I just might be into striking a new print if Sony has the elements. And it turned out, actually, that it was just two reels that were bad, but... Quentin helped with that restoration. So I feel that he's really kind of connected to this print and obviously really liked this print. Wow. I thought it was terrific. I had not seen it. I didn't know a whole lot about it. And I got to tell you, Little Richard backstage and on stage was uh, the highlight for me. So, you know, he's back there saying, I don't think I can get any prettier. (laughs) (laughs) And he was right. Oh, that's so great. It's a really interesting concert film. It features a lot of classic 50s rock and rollers but it's a 70s concert it's like a like a rock and roll review show and it's told in a multi-screen split frame woodstockian Mm. sort of thing where it's showing the performer the audience backstage as well as lots of crazy vintage clips from 50s TV or films that these performers appeared in Mm. or just weird, wacky newsreels that are are anti-rock and roll. (laughs) And this concert film is actually what sort of kick-started the whole 50s revival in the 70s. So this kind of warmed people up for American Graffiti. Oh, nice. Mm. So it would have fit in that section in February. That makes sense. And that also never been available on home video. The music rights on that have got to be a nightmare. So really we're just teasing you by talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Now that the day's passed. But it'll probably play again sometime, I bet. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. well, we'll wait till then. Um, and that takes us into our first midnight, uh, which this month is Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 played throughout. So, yes, we're going to alternate mm-hmm. uh, weekly on that. So, as we do every month at the New Beverly, we showcase one of Quentin's films on Friday nights mm-hmm. at midnight. Uh, we always use his gorgeous film prints, which are the best film prints out there on his titles. And we always wish, of course, that we could show 
the whole bloody affair. I still never but, seen it. Yeah. Uh, the second best way to do it is to come one Friday, see volume one, come the following Friday mm-hmm. after you've thought for an entire week about how badass volume one was, <laughs> and then see the conclusion with volume two. Yeah, and one of the things that we're trying to do um, before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is released is get all Quentin's um, previous films shown, kind of leading up to oh, cool. to that. That's um, so great. Did you know I have a Pulp Fiction tattoo? Oh! Yeah. Yeah, As I've got Mia Wallace. Be any cooler. <laughs> wow. Mia Wallace on my ankle. I'll show uh, you guys George dancing. Photo at the end. And That's a funny cool. thing was, yeah. I got it done in Amsterdam, which I thought was very apt. Oh. Perfect. Perfect. And then I yes. went straight to Cannes to the film festival, and I was sitting on the stairs, and Uma Thurman walked past me, and I thought well, I never talked to celebrities <laughs> like out of yeah. interviews, but I thought I have to. So I was like, "Hi, Uma. I just want to show you my new tattoo," <laughs> and it was bloody and gross because I just uh. got it done. <laughs> but she was so excited, and she was like, "Can Aww. I take a picture of that?" Cool. And she's like, "Can I That's take a picture cool. of you? I'm going to send it to Quentin and show him." She Aww. was so excited. I thought she'd be like, "Oh yeah, I see myself <laughs> as the bride," you know, Mia, in all these tattoos, but. Aww. That's super yeah, cool. I have such a love Great. for Tarantino's films. And I love Kill Bill Volume 1 and yeah. 2. 2, yeah. I think I have more of a love for, but yeah, huge, I love both of them. I, I love both too, but 2 is really my jam. I really like 2 a lot. Well, it's, I think the only th- one of the things that tips the scales is David Carradine is yeah. so yeah. good in that <laughs> film. And great. it's actually quite emotional, which I think is great. Yeah. What's the great thing about those two films. Absolutely. But what is the deal with, I mean, I don't know I don't know enough about, is there, does a print exist of The Whole Bloody Affair or is it one with like Japanese subtitles? Or? No, no. Um, and yeah, a print is, exists. Of it. oh, it's it's okay. Quentin's personal print. And okay. There's always just, you know, a matter of timing and, you know, yeah, oh, I, j- I didn't even know there was a proper print. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. no, it's a proper print, and he has the only one, and it's the one that show, showed it at Cannes. So. Oh, nice. And it's not just two movies back-to-back. There's oh, actually, no, absolutely yeah, okay, no. That's and there's like so some differences between, yeah. so. So that means our Tarantino episode really isn't complete. Oh, damn it. All the way back when we watched all the, uh, paired all of his films. We, we really haven't right. done the whole <laughs> one day. Right. That'll be our, our bonus. Um, okay, so that's excellent. And then we get into... Um, uh, are we straight into the Kentucky Fried movie from there? Well, it depends if you want to go to the Kitty Matinee. Oh, yeah, we should. Yeah. Go no, no, go to the Kitty Matinee. My, my notes are always up back to front. So we have uh, <laughs> the first of the horse movies for the month, and that's Sylvester from 1985 with uh, Little House on the Prairie's Melissa Gilbert. Um, directed, directed by River's Edge Tim Hunter, I which I was it. not expecting. I love he it. He also directed Tex, which is similar uh, to yeah. this. Okay. So. And I actually talked to him about Tex – when he came into the video store I worked at, uh, circa 2000. I mean, I talked to him about River's Edge right away because yeah. I love that movie. But I was like, there's that scene with Matt Dillon at the payphone, like after he has, like, there's some kind of a traumatic, I can't remember if it's like he gets beat up or shot or something happens. And it's this really great scene of him in a payphone. So I had to tell Tim Hunter how much I liked that scene in particular. He was nice about it. He's a really sweet guy. Mm. But I've never seen this. Has anybody here seen no, Sylvester? No, it's just the one I haven't seen. I saw it. All right. I um, actually saw it with the Kitty Matinee audience, and mm. I had a little bit of a problem with it. If I was with my nieces, we we probably would have laughed, to oh, be really? honest. Really? Yeah, there was um, some language that I wasn't comfortable with, mm. with children in there, mm. um, and I certainly don't know your limits on the podcast, so I won't say that. We have no limits. But oh, you have no limits? Okay, well. We encourage um, language. Okay. Well, good, because I, I, when I get excited, I drop F-bombs. It's all good. And there was like an attempted rape scene. Whoa. Oh, so, wow. I mean, I must have got up huh. out of my seat like three times oh, to go talk to the manager. I'm like, oh, oh man, like, I didn't know this was going on. And, and then he's looking it up on IMB. And we all looked it up, and it's like, 
they say, you know, they give a little warning about language and stuff. And but they're like family film. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> Jeez. OK. So. Well, at least you guys are doing it at midnight. That's the main thing, right? <laughs> yeah. It's midnight, right? Oh, oh no, the daytime? <laughs> uh, so it was, you know, beyond I, I, I think they could have made a perfectly fine G movie. And, but it, it was a, a little a little off put by that one. So, I, you know, it looked really nicely I shot. I see all the movies before we. Oh, before you. Yeah. So, oh, so I, you're I our go to for anything in here one. where we're black spot on. So that's well, good. Well, I mean, for, I, I should quantify that. The kitty matinees, because oh, okay. I really mm-hmm. like the kitty matinees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like kind of my jams. <laughs> well, this one has Richard Farnsworth, so that great. And Constance he Towers was in it. terrific. I don't know how Constance. Do, do you remember it. Constance Towers in this? I, I can't. I don't even remember her. Yeah. Well, you know what? I yeah. Okay. She's the she's the, the yeah. kind of highfalutin. Uh, yeah. I, okay. But, you know. I just was surprised because this is pretty late for her career. I know um, this is on Amazon Prime. If people are interested in not showing it to their children, <laughs> Sylvester, <laughs> it's eighty-five. So yeah, one of the horse movies. I think you kind of have to be a little bit. You know, you think you need to be like. 14 and up or five and under so it goes like kind of right above <laughs> yeah, your head you yeah, so yeah. you know there you go regardless you have to be more mature than any of us <laughs> that is for sure uh, then we go uh, straight into uh, so we're celebrating more Paul Windcuss films really his home <sighs> I think we missed filmography. a midnight there Elric where oh, I didn't go back sorry Kentucky Fried Movie the Kentucky Fried Movie is a film that demands the greatest performances from the finest actors of the cinema hey look Roy I tell you, this building is unsafe. Cities and flames, the National Guard is powerless to deal with the situation. Governor, what are we going to do? An anticipated 10% price hike across the board on petroleum products. Okay, okay, so give us the theme, because this is a really fun uh, anthology-kind-of-based theme all month, and there's some really great stuff in here. So do you want to explain some of that? They look at each other now trying to pass the buck. I know Mark Edward Hoyk wrote a nice piece uh, that I have not had a chance to read yet, but uh, he talks about, I believe, all the films that are shown in this. So Mark did a great piece for our blog, and all month we're doing these sort of classic repertory midnights, these... 70s and then uh, Amazon Women in the Moon is uh, yeah, so is from the 80s, but they're all comedy, anthology, omnibus, sketch comedy, SNL type movies for adults, and Kentucky Fried Movie is the one we're kicking that off with. And yeah. uh, the, the, no one even knows this. These guys don't even know this. They're going to actually be showing that film in Feel Around. So it's this <laughs> oh, new yeah. system where there'll be an usher behind each person, and it's called <laughs> Feel Around. That's one of the, one of the bad gags <laughs> of the movie. The sketches, is yeah. they go to the movie and you, each person gets an usher gets to touch them and slap them and spray stuff on. It's really yeah, that, it's that actually is, a genius skit. I think that's one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah, that, that and um, finally a movie that tells the truth about masturbation. And the guy's like turns around, he's got like wolf hands <laughs> and looks like in shock. And it's it's one of those things that's punctuated by brilliance, but it, yeah. It's nowhere near Amazon Woman on the Moon, which is just yeah, I love that. Has so it's much good favorite. stuff, but it is fun and it's pretty wild. It's Landis uh, Zucker Abrams. Yeah, so and they they showed it at the TCM Classic oh. Film Festival. Oh, what a wacky one in twenty sixteen. Wow, yeah, That's yeah cool. they had Landis and Zuckers come out and talk about it, and it was really interesting because I'd never seen it before, oh, but wow. I'd heard about it. <laughs> okay. And like you said, there's some moments that were brilliant. Shocking, yeah, yeah. You know that I thought were really hilarious. Well, and the, I like the, the whole kung fun. fu spoof as well in yeah. the middle the of it. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. yeah, feel around now wouldn't be politically correct <laughs> in a ground I don't know house. That movie, there's but. just about any scene, any sketch in that movie yeah, yeah, that yeah. is at this point. I, yeah, no, this is that the month of those anthologies, but that's super fun. So yeah, kicking it off with Kentucky Fried on the second, and then we go into the Paul Wincos, uh, continuing from 
last month and even the month prior was did he do do we yeah we didn't know yeah, no, yeah we, went coast in january too i'm i'm, I'm oh, blanking no, i don't think so just no. february okay but i was talking to alicia before because i was like oh gidget movies i i feel like in new zealand these never played at all yeah I, i'd heard the Neither name gidget Australia, yeah. zero so you guys will have to fill us in on on the gidget stuff whereas because, elvis movies beach party movies yeah. i was all across but gidget, oh, wow. yeah never did that's funny yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I'm from the Midwest, and but I mean, I I I haven't seen either of these. We have uh, Gidget goes Hawaiian and Gidget goes to Rome. And um, some that something dark is going on because a different actress plays Gidget every single film. So every, every two years, and it's and a, the, and so I'm TV like, what's show, going on? So it's a, sort of a running gag. Well, this, uh, the dark Gidget role. But <laughs> <laughs> I need to know more about this. Uh, some sort of curse. But uh, has any, have you guys seen either of these? I have not. Okay. I did not get out to the to, to the cinema okay. on Sunday or Monday. So. I, I have a pen. I, I enjoy uh, Hawaiian movies in oh, yeah. particular. I don't know what it is mm-hmm. about it. I've been Blue to Hawaii, Hawaii only a few times, but the Elvis movies in Hawaii I think are fun. And I love the Elvis Blue movies. Blue Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. Oh, is that your favorite Elvis? Elvis? Yeah. yeah. That's my great. My favorite Elvis. I heard there was some really cool tiki bar stuff. In, that's. Um, I love that kind of thing. Yeah. Gidget yeah. goes Hawaiian. So. Very cool. Um, for the regular podcast listeners, they may remember my talking about Surfer Teen Confronts Fear. Yes. But director <laughs> Douglas Burke came out to the New Bev to watch oh. Gidget Goes Hawaiian, and oh. he let me know that it features lots of great Hawaiian footage. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a James Darren fetish or something. That's um, good to that know. That is amazing. So, yeah, people who aren't familiar with the Gidget films, it's like a, a spunky SoCal teen who picks up surfing and has trouble with boys and all that sort of stuff, and then... James Darren comes through to provide some family safe, still edgy uh, sex uh, appeal, and he always sings a song in each movie. <laughs> Wait, so he's the through line of these three movies, which yeah, is a little he's worrying. In all three. He's changing his leading lady every time. I, I gotta, I gotta look into this. <laughs> We're gonna crack this code. Uh, strange mystery. Okay. Well, I love that those two movies lead directly into the Monday matinee. I think that's brilliant to go to the surf <laughs> yeah. movies into what is one of the, you know, I think one of the kind of modern classic LA movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, point Blake. Uh, so point break, not point, point blank. Break. We'll get there. <laughs> I'm jumping the gun. Point break. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and please don't forget to vote. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. The ex-presidents are surfers. You're trying to tell me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf. Fear causes hesitation. Hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. He'll take you to the edge. Past it. This is gonna be a great day, Johnny. The taxpayers of Lancet, Utah, they knew that they were paying a federal agent to surf and pick up girls. Babes. Big one. The correct term is babes, sir. Uh, were you still living in Australia when you saw that one? I was, I yeah. Know. And um, I think it was one of the first times I'd seen Keanu Reeves in this kind of role and probably was one of the first times he was cast in this kind of more uh, – it was like very macho, but he brought his vulnerability to it. And I actually wrote about Point Break for my book yeah. because I wanted to, out of all Catherine Bigelow's films, talk about this film in particular because I think it's really interesting the way she uses the female gaze, if that, if I can use that term – 
on a very masculine movie in that it has this really interesting bromance between yeah, Keanu much. Reeves and Patrick Swayze. There's you know, some homoerotic overtones in there. But it's also just done in a, a different way. The, the action, the violence, she shows that she can you know, craft a, a masterful, particularly that scene, the chase scene. Mm-hmm. She can do all the action, but she One can also... One of the most also, kinetic scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, just, and also just make uh, points about gender, I think, and, and masculinity. Blurring. A, a blurring, lot of blurring lines exactly. in that film, yeah. Exactly. That and Near Dark, I, they're the two of the earliest films I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Usually it's so insidious, but in that you're like, wait a minute, the girl's got short hair and she's kind of the more macho outsider role and these two guys, one's guy's wearing a dress at some point. Yes. It's fasc- yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Exactly. So I like that it's about a, a romance between two men. Yeah. And surfing. Yeah. And, surfing. <laughs> and, and bank robberies. And bank robberies. <laughs> yeah, really good. What do you feel, because... Spoiler alert if anyone hasn't seen yeah. Point Break, but the finale or the postscript sort of is set in Australia. Yes. But it's shot here in California. Is I that know. offensive to you? Or? <laughs> well, uh, they did use, I think, an Australian actor, didn't they, to tell he, when when he goes past and he talks to him. You're mad, you bastard. Yeah, <laughs> you bastard, yeah. It was like a very Australian accent. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I just um, watched still. it. I think they may offensive. have just brought the Australian in for some, <laughs> they did, yeah. uh, some uh, voice replacement. From the Outback of... Steakhouse commercial. Oh, right, to the yeah. Okay, okay. Yes, I know. I was like, ah. I remember when I saw it when I was young, I did think it was in Australia, so I was excited. Yeah. And uh. <laughs> But it is such a badass movie, and I think it's great when somebody goes, I'm just a kick-ass filmmaker. It's not about, I'm just mm-hmm. a woman filmmaker. I'm just a kick-ass filmmaker. And I think Catherine Vilgo is always saying that and making that very clear in all her interviews. I think that's super important for people. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And hopefully we'll get to that point yeah, where we don't have, have to have yeah. anything special. Absolutely. But we're not quite there yet. No, no. no that's right. <laughs> but yeah, one of the great action films in the 1990s, for sure, without yeah. question. Um, yeah, so that leads uh, into the March 5th double, which is one of my favorites for the month. Uh Skate Town USA and Roller Boogie. And Skate Town USA is Patrick Swayze's screen debut. Yes, Ooh. we got a little Swayze connection. Um, written by the um, the shape from Halloween. Oh, did Tommy Nick, Lee Walls write? No, Nick Castle. Oh, Nick Castle. Written been. by Nick, one of the writers on it, yeah. Wow. I haven't seen this one. I remember you tell, being excited about this. Yeah, no, I mean, I love Roller Boogie. Roller Boogie is my one of my favorites of that period. And it's, I don't know, it's an unabashed, cheesy movie that I just absolutely adore. And, He's the best skate around. She's the hottest date in town. Together, they're love on wheels in Roller Boogie. It's very simple in terms of the plot. You know, there's not much happening, but it just opens in this incredible way where, like, there's, like, basically a conga line of of skaters like rolling through Venice and people just keep, you know, joining the line and they get to a point where like there's this guy and this girl making out on tops of top of a dumpster and they get off the dumpster and get in the line and you're just like, okay, there's something about this movie that's infectious. <laughs> um, but I love that one. But Skate Town is the one that's even harder to see hmm. and still doesn't really have a proper home video release, I don't believe. No, it's never been on home video, but... I watched it at the New Bev last night, and I can see why. It has every single <laughs> disco song ever made. Wow. I like immediately had to go home and look at the soundtrack, and it only has nine or ten songs on it, but there are literally 60, 70 songs on it. it <laughs> if they put it out, it would be a 10-LP set oh my God. of like Casablanca artists. Wow. And 
it is wall-to-wall music. Remember when roller skating was a lonely sport? The skaters were discreet. The skates were obsolete. And the background had no beat at all. Well, times sure have changed. And also it's wall-to-wall stars, so there's a lot of recognizable faces in it. Who are some of the cameos? I'm blanking. I've seen it, but it's been a while. Well, so it stars Scott Baio and yes. Patrick Swayze, and uh, there's Maureen McCormick in Satin nice. Short Shorts. <laughs> and uh, my favorite is in the opening credits, there are two credit cards. There's one for... The Unknown Comic, and then oh. the next one is for Murray Langston, who is the Unknown Comic, so it's like <laughs> the dumbest joke just to kick the movie off, but there's Billy Barty plays oh, yeah. Flip Wilson's dad, <laughs> Flip Wilson in drag plays Flip Wilson's mom, oh, yes. um, it's it's got uh, Ron Polillo from Welcome Back, Cotter, wow. it's jam-packed with recognizable faces, but there is a lot of music. It's similar to Thank God It's Friday. Mm. It's told over the course of one night, and instead of being at a dance club, it's at a roller disco, and people get in fights, they make love, they do lots and lots and lots and lots of boogieing on uh, their skates. Yes. It's really extensive. You had me at making out on a dumpster. Well, that's roller I was. That's when I was all in. That's roller smooth, boogie. So. There's no making oh, out okay. on a dumpster. Oh, well, then, this movie know. has all that other stuff, but no making out no on a dumpster. Right. So yeah. I don't know. Flawed. You got to see both of them. But, but yeah, that's amazing. And it's too bad that it's going to always be relegated probably to this kind of rep screening because of that soundtrack. So, But I've definitely seen this double program before, and it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's such a neat... I don't know. It was <laughs> a fun night. I gotta be, even I had fun. So. That's awesome. Yeah, Wait, well, it hasn't happened yet. No, <laughs> yes. Um, no, 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 we know it's happening. But yeah, Roller Boogie's a lot of fun. It's, you know, Linda Blair, uh, 1979, you know, sort of a rich girl um, who's really into roller disco. And I think the guy's name is Tom Bray? Jim Brayer. Jim Brayer. There we go. Who is the actual, honest to goodness, roller skating uh, champion, like world champion uh, in artistic roller skating. Hmm. He he really shows off his stuff as the like roller boogie bad boy in the movie. Yeah, I mean, his acting, maybe not so much, but uh, he's passable, but he can skate like crazy, you know? Um, But yeah, it's a lot of fun, that one. It's kind of like, there's like a save the rec center plot, basically. They're saving the disco plot mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I don't know. There's something about that movie. I have the soundtrack on vinyl. I'm just a big fan of it. Um, um, it also features a lot of the same music in oh. Skate Town, USA. So if you really <laughs> like disco, you should re- recreate this uh, double bill. My favorite aspect in the movie, though, is actually the Roger Ebert review, where he says, I know people th- might think that this is ridiculous, but I've been to Venice Beach and it's just like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, he nailed it. Oh, boy. You see some dumpster making out, I guess. Um, 
<laughs> All right, so... Well, let's just talk about what the matinees are. The Monday matinees, to, to clarify, Monday yeah. matinees are the uh, directed by a woman, but the Wednesday matinees are afternoon classics stuck with like great lead performances by woman leads. Is that the idea? Yeah, Best Actress um, Academy Award winner. Oh, oh right? sorry, actually, okay. So this first one I'm going to definitely throw to you because I know it, you've done something mm-hmm. recently. It's also one of my favorite movies. It's just one of those movies that really, first time you see it, it really gets in your head. And and, and I always think about it as, I wish somebody had made a Jack the Ripper film that looked like that. Yes. They never really did. It's it's so atmospheric and all the fog. So we're talking about it Gaslight really from 1944. He said I wasn't any liquor. He said I was going out of my mind. not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. But why? Why? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And you thought I was being cool to you. <laughs> Keeping no, people away not from cruel. You, making you a prisoner. <laughs> oh, you're the kindest man in the world. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, really disturbing gothic mm. thriller where Ingrid Bergman plays a woman who gets married to Charles Boyer and he's a bit of a shady character. <laughs> um, he's got a lot of secrets and slowly she starts to see things, she starts to hear things, she believes she's going crazy. He's very emotionally abusive. She ends up being a shut-in and then I won't give away what happens, but it is the inspiration for the term gaslighting. Yeah. And so you find out in this film, if you've never seen it, where that term comes from and it's such a wonderful performance by Ingrid Bergman. She's I mean, she is remarkable the journey that she goes on you really believe her fragility the way she's losing her mind and then how she ends up right at the end i just i just love this performance and how and how uh, you know a man can manipulate someone in a way that's believable to why they would stay with them because that's always the hard thing in any story like this uh, is to go like this is so absurd why would and there's a great scene you know where she's just like oh where he lies to her and she's just oh thank god i just thought something else was going on and you're just like oh so sad because all it takes is a little affection Mm -hmm. to keep her in his, and uh, very slow too, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Just like little incremental, slow yeah. little things. Boiling the frog, yeah. Yeah, that slowly make her believe that she's losing her mind. And so it is very believable why she would stay with him and why she would question her own behavior. Yeah. And Angela Lansbury. Oh, that's she, right. This was her first film role and she is so fun in this film because she's, uh, you know, the complete opposite to Ingrid Bergman. She believes that she's crazy yeah. she's, um, and she's just so wonderful. And the only thing that can so make nice it better is Joseph Cotton, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want to have a perfect movie? You just <laughs> exactly. add Joseph Cotton. But also for it's George always. Cooker, I think sometimes I feel like sometimes it's not the uh, aesthetics that I notice in his films, but in this one, they're re- they really there's something about the the, the place and mood that's also yeah, super it's the evocative. It's, interiors and how claustrophobic they are, and how mm. claustrophobic they keep getting with all the old furniture and everything feels dusty. Yeah, you know it's yeah. great. It's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful yeah. movie. It's such a great movie. I feel like and, and then know? Mae Whitty comes in and is like the comic oh, yeah. relief, <laughs> is, the, is the nosy neighbor, and she just like slays every time she's on screen. It's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, great cast and George Cukor, one of the the best directors of women yeah. at this time. Yeah, yeah and, and this is characters. an unusual entry for him in terms of he did a lot more comedies mm-hmm. and a few dramas, but. Yeah, this is this is a little different. That's that's kind of cool. And definitely an influence I would think on Crimson Peak. Oh, uh, yes. Big Absolutely. Time. So. And Sweden has Ingrid Bergman and we have Billy D Williams in America. Woo. <laughs> that's the easiest segue I've ever had. It <laughs> was great. Um, a Billy D Williams as a cop double feature. Yeah. Um, with one movie I'm very familiar with, and it's one of my, my favorite bonkers uh, movies, uh, and the other which I did not know of, but you got to watch The Take. I did. I watched The Take uh, the other night. Yeah, it's a really interesting sort of dirty cop drama hmm. where, you know... Set in New Mexico. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. And um, I'm trying to remember the supporting cast. 
It's got Frankie Avalon. Frankie Avalon, oh, yes. Frankie Avalon, and um, there's a, there was a couple other standouts that I'm blanking on at the moment, but um, it was interesting. I like Billy D in a in a lead role, and I don't feel okay. like he got enough opportunities to do it, you know. And um, yeah, this one is really underseen. Like I had to get a um, made on demand DVD, although I think there's a Blu-ray coming from Mill Creek, not too far off. But um, this says it's a Sony Archive print. What you guys played? Yeah, and something about the Sony archives, and if you notice, back in um, February also, um, we have a really good relationship with Sony archives, and they sent us a big list. There's one um, archivist in particular, and she sent us a big list of these have never been screened ever, or at least never been screened in Los Angeles in the past 10 years. So, you know, Quentin was like kid in the candy store with that <laughs> list. You know, I think maybe we probably overwhelmed them a little bit. So big shout out. Thank you to Sony for getting all these done. But these are like beautiful, like the Gidget movies. Everybody that saw them came up to me and it's like, oh, oh my God, those prints were gorgeous. Wow. So I have not cool. seen the take, but um, I assume that it's equally as gorgeous. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it will look good. I mean, um, I wonder if they're using that print for the Blu-ray. But but anyway, it's neat that you guys have that relationship with Sony Archive because I feel like their stuff, um, more than some of the other studios, is pretty un- underrepresented on home video, the, obs- the obscure stuff. I mean, they have the Sony Archive program, but they don't have the representation <laughs> that the Warner titles do through Warner Archive or even like Fox and MGM who get licensed through other companies. I mean, I guess Sony does have a relationship with a couple labels, but, but it seems like there's a lot of titles you guys are playing that I've just never seen on home. I mean, I know they've been released, but it's just not stuff that I'm familiar with. So that's really exciting. So we're pairing that movie <laughs> with uh, the Joe Spinell starring, uh, and there's a good support cast of Stallone, Billy D, and Rucker Hauer, <laughs> but Joe Spinell in Nighthawks. Is this trip business or pleasure? Pleasure, I hope. Welcome to the United States. Hamer Reinhardt, sometimes called Wolfgar. Born Frankfurt, Germany, 1946. Educated Paris and Patrice Lumumba University, Moscow. Currently self-employed. Occupation, international terrorist. You are to be indoctrinated counter-terrorist techniques. Deke de Silva, age 35. Born and raised New York City. Honorable discharge, U.S. Army, 1972. 52 registered kills. Occupation, cop. This movie has to be seen with an audience. It is... It is so much fun. It's a really well-made movie. It's exciting, but it's also utterly bonkers. There are things that happen in this movie that I am not going to spoil for you, for your experience with this film. Uh, and, and of course, you know, this is also, it's, it's also a good buddy cop kind of setup, I think. And it also has a great connection because my favorite scene in the movie is the disco scene. Uh, so it's a nice connection to some of the disco that you got playing earlier. So I, we like to try to find the patterns in here where we can. Uh, have you seen Nighthawks or is this no, one? No, I think you should all. see it here. This would be a super yeah, fun screen. It sounds like it, it is one you need to see with an audience. Yeah. Well, Rucker Howard gets to play like a terrorist character. Wolfgar. Wolfgar. He's, sorry. He's so smooth. I just that name. I was. I texted Elric. I, I was like, I think Wolfgar might be one of the greatest names in yeah. cinema ever. <laughs> in the climax, when it's shouted, Wolfgar, yeah, yeah. the crowd goes. <laughs> ape shit because it's like leading up to this moment where is his name is shouted and it's like the perfect 
name to shout. I know we've talked about <laughs> Malone. The, the name shouts. Malone. Yeah, yeah when we actually had a bit on the uh, last calendar where we we're talking about the Burt Reynolds movie Malone mm-hmm. and how it's a great name to yell. Yeah, yeah. Malone. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, this is a super fu- fun film. I assume you're a big fan of this one. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I, I really think... grimy but entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of smart. I think Rutger Hauer gets to play a really interesting character here, too. There's a great scene in The Gondola where he's holding hostages. That's just, a lot of the things just feel unique. I think it's, it feels more like a 70s, uh, one of, like, you know, kind of more connected to a lot of the 70s film. Like, it's kind of like, kind the of like Serpico and things or something yeah. like that. Compared to the 80s, because it's 81, so it's probably developed in the 70s, so it makes sense. But It's uh, closer to Rocky than it is to Rambo, like yeah. in yeah. mood or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's grittier. Yeah. I love that the uh, the police task force that Billy D and uh, and Sly belong to is is acronymed ATTACK, A-T-A-C. <laughs> I forget what that stands for, but they have it all over their hats and and stuff like that. I just like I like silly acronyms in movies. But we can't re- you ruin some of the key. There's a couple key gags that this film's known for that we are not going to be the ones to ruin that for you. Just go trust us. This is a super fun film. And yeah. I think uh, Shout Factory has a new Blu-ray on that. They do, and I believe one of the big things about this movie is that the um, music was a problem, and it was rescored on home video. I want to say for some of the DVD releases and even some of the VHS releases. But I think I watched my Blu-ray, and I'm pretty sure they restored all the music, which is pretty cool. It's got a pretty great soundtrack. I mean, there's even a scene where the um, Billy D and uh, Sly are going around to different clubs, and you just get a like quick. quick clip of like big songs playing at the club while they're talking to somebody outside and I'm like wow that's that was expensive oh that probably expensive <laughs> you know just literally like 30 seconds but I'm like okay I can see why this might have been problematic because there's a lot of club related stuff that happens in the movie and they're playing high profile songs I think Brown Sugar hmm. is played at okay, that one scene. That's a big one. It, and actually, funnily enough, Silent Partner, you know, I think Silent Partner might be the superior film, but it reminds me a little bit. I think Rooker getting to play a fun role like that, it's memorable yeah. in a similar way. It'd if you like Silent double. Partner, go to go to this one for It'd sure. Be a great double. Um, okay, then we, so then we get to Kill Bill Volume 2 on at midnight on the 8th. Um, is that correct? Or we can so. go into the double bill, the mental institution double bill. Oh, <laughs> oh, yes. oh, okay, right, right. That is earlier. Sorry about that. I, how would I forget my favorite movie? Yes. <laughs> That's kind of sad. Uh, One Flew Over the Cookie's Nest from 1975. His name is R.P. McMurphy. He's 38 years old. He's being confined to the state mental hospital. They say he's crazy. Why do you think they might think that? Don't make a bit of sense to me. We talked about it at length on the Scorsese episode. Would you it, pair it with? I forgot. Um, oh, answer. Last Temptation of Christ, because yeah. it's like a parable. Yes, kind of that crazy. was good. Like parable. That was good. But uh, it's the movie that yeah, I think I was, I mean, I was already into movies, but I was, I think I was 13 and I had a teacher and it was the first time he like showed us a movie and then broke down what things meant. Like they're wearing white and institutional walls. And suddenly I was just like, oh, movies are these things that have a deeper level. I just liked watching them. And it, it literally in one moment changed everything about how I watched movies. It was that and Alien close together, how that some, somebody just taking the time to open the uh, curtain a little bit. And I just, I have so much respect for this movie and think it's such a smart, <laughs> great film. Um, mm. I assume you're a fan. Yes, big yeah. fan. I, I did a similar thing where, I mean, Hitchcock was the one for me that really opened my eyes to, oh, people make films and things yeah. mean other things, you yeah. know. <laughs> but um, I remember seeing One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and then wanting to read about it and wanting to dissect it and wanting to figure out exactly what it meant. And also seeing, you know, Nurse Ratchet and yeah, that making Fletcher. me yeah. so, on oh, no, yeah, just making me so... Uh, disturbed because you have particularly a woman and someone in position of power, a nurse, 
who's supposed to be warm and friendly and safe. And yeah. she, I remember, really disturbed me at a young age. But it's such a great performance. Amazing. It's one of the best ensembles, I think, like yes. casting-wise. It's it's a remarkable movie. And, 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 you know, even like Michael Douglas produced it. There's just so many interesting elements. I guess it was shut up in Oregon. And, you know, a lot of those mental institutions were just closed and people were just let out. Like, sorry, we're closing them and everyone's out on the street. So, which is, you know, re- remarkable. But the second film of this double, so that's a film if you haven't seen on the big screen, you absolutely owe yourself to it. Because it's. I think it's often remembered as a great performance movie of Jack but it's much more than that I think it's just such a brilliantly designed film but um, the second film I, and I have to go to this double because I need to see this film and couldn't find very I could find very little on it another rare one yeah Curious World of Julius Ruder from 74 um, with Tim Bottoms who's you know fantastic and and my biggest crush of that period Barbara Hershey who's just <laughs> gorgeous and everything uh, she's in there Arthur Hiller directed a Vietnam vet set at a VA hospital and I guess it's so so I guess this is a very different relationships to nurses double feature uh, one, <laughs> one they're in love with the nurse the other one less so with nurse Rich. Yeah. Uh, has anyone seen this or is this no, no. I, I don't think anybody has On seen Earth it except seen for <laughs> when uh, the calendar came out, uh, our friend Larry Karaszewski, he oh, sent me a message and just went, wow, Julius Ruder. That's hilarious. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Who I'm sure will be a future guest on I the show. I, mean. uh, I didn't want to read too much into it as to whether that meant, wow, it's everyone's got to go see it or wow. Why? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he was excited to see it on the, on the schedule uh, regardless. That's why double bills are so great. No yeah. matter what, you got to see One Flew Over the Cookies. That's so we'll see. But I, I, I need to see it. I'm, I'm so curious. I saw one little clip, but it's terrible online. Yeah, there's nothing. There was very little. So yeah. um, But in Australia, this was huge, right? Yeah, this was number one movie. No, no idea. No idea. <laughs> the norm. No, I hadn't even heard of it. Um, okay, so so that, that night goes into Kill Bill Volume 2. Yeah. So, uh, which, you know, you've just expressed your love for mm-hmm. um, over, I, I don't think I could pick between them. I, I think, I like the economy of one, I think. The expan- two is expansive. I love Carradine, but one is such a tight, I don't know, I think it's a, it's a kind of flawless movie. I feel like you need them both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. Well, it's one yeah, story. No. So. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. they even each other yeah. out. You know, they, they give you different things, yeah. different influences, uh, you know, different feelings. But yeah. the crazy eights. So how can you? So know? great. Um, it's pussy wagon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then so the next day. Oh, okay. Here we go. The big one. Are big you ready, Jules? Because this the, we have a big <laughs> announcement to make. The only reason I'm here. <laughs> Even though we've asked you to come on the show so far, you have and an open invitation. Thank you. I appreciate it. But okay. I said I want to come and pimp the cartoon club. Tell, so. yeah, tell us all about it. What's going on? Well. Quentin loves cartoons. He has a collection. I love cartoons. Uh, and one of the best things about the theater that people who don't haven't been yet don't realize is the cartoons you guys pick to play before features sometimes are so perfect. They, we with try the to be very it. thematic, yeah. whether it's like the cartoons or a Stooges short yeah. or a music video. So we're very lucky that we have a, a vast collection. And that collection includes... Almost 535 oh, wow. millimeter cartoons. Wow. Yes. No, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And you, if you add in the 16, it's, it's up to 600. So, oh. you know, I just, I finally pitched it to Quentin. I'm just like, oh, I want to have a cartoon club every month. And he's all, that's a good idea. I'm like, yes. So I just, we went for it. And uh, 
Met a little bit of backlash from my staff. Was not too happy about it. But oh, um, what's what? What does it does it? Is it just because you have to show so many different? Sh- it's because oh. it's at ten a.m. in the morning. Uh, so which means we have to get there at eight a.m. Which oh. I don't mind because I'm a very early riser. Uh, so. Well, yeah, <laughs> Phil, was, Phil, I understand he's a Mr. Midnight over there. So I mean, he's coming. Our staff doesn't have children, so uh-huh. I mean, you don't. You probably don't remember. Your life before children, but Midnight, uh, yeah. 9 a.m., 10 a.m., that's uh, rather early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> For some. But, but, but I just plowed through, and I just said, you know, it might just be me and 12 other people, but oh, gosh no. darn it, we're going to have a good time. No, I, I think it'll be. I think that'll be huge because, I mean, and are they going to be uh, each month going to be any kind of uh, – thematic link? There is. Okay. There, okay, so it's going to be a secret. We're oh, not cool. going to say yeah. which cartoons, but uh, certainly leading up to the Cartoon Club on social media, we've given hints. Oh, those have been We've done, been doing a 10-day countdown, and there's certainly been some hints, and I've uh, titled this first program A Cartoon Cavalcade in WB Minor, which WB is Warner Uh, Brothers, which did the Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes. And we're going to be looking at some of the minor characters that don't get such a spotlight. So I I probably went overboard. I uh, (laughs) programmed 12 cartoons, and I'm very sure I should have programmed 10, but we'll take an intermission, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. But let's look at this. How long are the blocks Just of the car? Is it but like a two-hour? Like, um, it's a, The whole program with the intermission runs 90 minutes, okay. but that's still a mm. lot of cartoons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it a is. lot coming at you, so next I can, time I it'll go be 10. three hours. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll quote no, you on that during the introduction. <laughs> let's let cartoons, there's, I mean, come on. This is, it's an art form that has lasted 60, 70 years, that's six decades, seven decades that a new audience can sit down and just have joy. I mean, we're just, we're going to be there laughing. We're going to be there, you know, smiling. We're going to be there horrified when Pussyfoot maybe gets baked as a cookie, (laughs) Um, you know. So it's funny the term cartoon also uh, conjures something different in my heart than the word animation. So like I just saw the new Spider-Man movie and I'd call that an animated movie, but I wouldn't call it a cartoon. And yet cartoon, I think Warner Brothers and these shorter things with like more cartoony characters, whereas these animations now are often like to look real, to look closer to humans. You know, so it's even though that's a utterly great film, but oh, I think yeah, I I loved it. I I, I agree, it was brilliant. Yeah, but the cartoons is like all. The directors and the animators were like, oh my God, the sweat coming down Mark Anthony's, you know, the cat and uh, Feed the Kitty, <laughs> which is one we're playing. It's the sweat. I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm looking at it. I'm like, there's no words. There's just sweat coming off mm. of Mark Anthony's face and the little tears welling up. I'm like, what actor can do that? Yeah. I mean, seriously, there's yeah. some like great performances in the cartoons. Yeah, and I mean, often they are like little silent films, aren't they? they yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I was watching, uh, we played a, a Lickety Splat last night, a, a Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner uh, cartoon, and it's just like there's no dialogue in that. So it's just like... Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard really? uh, recently. I heard Chuck Jones uh, had there was a guy in his office, and every time the guy if, you'd almost run into him in the office, and every time you do that, the guy would go meep meep, and he literally took it from this guy in his office for the Roadrunner. I was like, that is the best. So I love cool. stories like that that just uh, link, you know, just to think of some grown man going meep meep every time he walks around <laughs> you. It's so weird, um, but yeah, no, th- I think there'll be a lot of joy coming from this. And there will. And advance tickets were almost sold out, so nice. I just like, oh, okay, it's not going to be me and 12 other people. <laughs> and then um, 
you know, the great uh, cartoon historian Jerry Beck. I reached <gasps> out to him. I'm like, oh, I'm going to email him and just let him know we're doing a little cartoon club. And he was so nice and so gracious. And I said, if you ever want a guest program, and he, he wrote back in all capital letters, yes. Oh, yeah. So, and he's going to come and actually say a few words on Saturday. Fantastic. So, yeah, and we'll have him guest program in the coming months. And oh. looking at some other guest programmers, it's just, it's just about spreading the joy and, and having some just some fun and laughter in life. So I'm very excited about Cartoon Club. I cannot thank Quentin enough for letting us do this. So this is a monthly thing now. It's going to be regular. Second Saturday of every month. Fantastic. Always be at 10 a.m. and tickets are six dollars. I love it. Mm. I love it too. I love me it's some like Jerry Beck too. Nostalgic, yeah. isn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. It's gonna feel like you know Saturday mornings when you yeah when you watch cartoons. And there were cartoon yeah. 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 I would watch cartoons from six in the morning yeah. till noon when wow. I was a kid, and it closed That's out. Great. With Looney Tunes, there was like an hour of Looney Tunes, and I would have t- I would have stopped at eleven, except it was Looney Tunes. So I'm like, well, I can't. Yeah, it's classic. That, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be into movies if it wasn't for Scooby Doo. Like Scooby Doo yeah. literally made me love watching movies and Absolutely. cartoons and mysteries. I just love Scooby Doo so much. Yeah, I can't wait for October. When whatever you do in October, to me that would be exciting. Just there's so much crazy. Stuff oh yeah, from Cartoon that time Club period. in October. You know, oh, that's, so, that sounds up, really so. cool. We'll, we'll definitely be breaking it out. Again. Yeah. Oh. At Christmas, I got some oh, like yeah. deep cuts oh, for nice. Christmas nice. too that can't play in regular time slots. So fantastic. Okay. So that's Cartoon Club. Next up is I think going to be the most contentious. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Richard Belzer. <laughs> No, no, I think we uh, are going into Now we're going to the great Farlap. Australian. Oh, we're going over there. Like you, oh. uh, the great Australian how did I, movie. How did I miss that? Yeah, there you go. The Farlap. great Australian icon. Yes. Um, so, oh, wait, that's a mistake in the writing. <laughs> I just, so well, can we, let's just take that again. Alicia will do, do the take no, again. No, no, no. This time a, a, a less, 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 like, like, yeah, no nah, worries, Mike. Uh, we'll turn that down and we'll just be like, it's the true story of a New Zealand horse no. that was exported to Australia like Russell Crowe uh, and many other great... Uh, uh, the prodigies of our guy. And who we stole <laughs> yeah. as ours, but, like but, Jane Campion. But yeah, like Jane Campion's yeah. definitely a Kiwi. I mean, the definitely piano, Australian. The Piano and Angel My Table, both became, New Zealand films. Came Australian, uh, Sweetie. Yeah, Sweetie is Australia. a good film. I'll give you that and Holy Smoke <laughs> and you can give me. Uh, but no, we both were talking about this off, off air is this would play all the time on TV in New Zealand. Yeah. I'm sure Australia. Australia, yes. Utter legend. In terms of the, the most winningest, I guess, horse. At that yes, point. yeah, it's such an interesting true story about this Australian racehorse. Was born, born in New Zealand, New Zealand. but <laughs> yeah. came to Australia. Yeah. And this is a great one of those great like underdog stories, yeah. similar to something like Sea Biscuit, where you have a horse that's an unlikely winner. Nobody thinks this horse is going to win a race, except the stable boy who falls in love with this horse and has such a great relationship. And then there's a great you know scene at the end, and it's so rousing and. And then the true story of Farlap, when he died, they found that the horse had a really large heart. Mm. So much larger than a regular horse. And that helped to run really fast and get the oxygen and the blood flowing. Plus, it's just such a sweet moment too. It had a really big heart, literally. And I grew up uh, riding horses. So I was obsessed with all horse movies and Farlap played constantly yeah. in my house it's just one of those r- rousing really uh, fun movies i think it's perfect for the kitty matinee and coming from countries like that we we tended to grow up with like two tv channels or something and so your access to a lot of the movies that you guys would play yeah. here we wouldn't have but then you'd have some things just on constant rotation exactly so never had the midnights no. you know, kind of thing in australia but we had Farlap. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen it. So. No, it's great. Simon Winsor is a very interesting director. You look, look him up. The one, the four I wrote down because it comes up on a show we're about to do. Uh, Daryl, 
Ah. Uh, Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man, uh, Free Willy, which makes total sense, and Phantom. The Phantom with Billy Zane. That's a very strange <laughs> Slam evil? filmography. And also one of the crocodile, the second Crocodile Dundee, I think. And so he, so he's obviously someone who can do really uplifting movies, but it's just what an interesting filmography there. Yeah. You know, it's, but definitely a working man in a lot of uh, TV movies too, I think. So yes. Very interesting. But Australian guy. So I'll yeah. give you that. Okay, good. Well, can take <laughs> That's <it>. one. <laughs> yeah. So for people who don't know, Australians have a history of stealing Our anyone talent. who's really good from New Zealand and calling them Australian. And New Zealand just <laughs> prefer living in Australia than New Zealand. So we go there. We're like, ah, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Very common. <laughs> um, yeah, so Farlap's are really, that'd probably be my pick. Well, there's actually a couple of really good horse movies to come, so ah, um, yes. we'll get there in a sec. Oh, so we got the Midnight, I think, of uh, yeah. going back to GrooveTube, which I hadn't seen. GrooveTube's not, that's not where we're going, right? Yes. Yeah. I had never even heard of this one, so I knew I knew Chevy Chase from That's All I'd Heard and Richard Belzer, is that right? Yeah, I think, yeah, those two are in it. Yeah, this one, uh, the thing I always remember from this one is that, um, I, I remember hearing the song "Moving." I think it's called "Moving Up." Hmm. Is it? It's a Curtis Mayfield song. Mm-hmm. That uh, like just the Jefferson's pl- theme. Not that no? song. No, <laughs> definitely different. Uh, "Move On Up." I think it's called. Actually, yes. And it plays. It's one of those things where it plays several times during the movie, and it's so good and so catchy. No offense to the movie, it's better than the movie mm. that I just was like, wow, that song just stood out. And it gives the movie a boost. It gives it this energy. Um, but the only scene I remember from the movie is in the trailer where it's like two hippies are driving along, about to get pulled over by the cops, and they are freaking out because they have weed in the car and they both start eating the weed or something like that. That's one of the That'll sketches I remember. <laughs> yeah, The last time we played it, we did an advanced screening of Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice, and this was the movie we paired it with. Whoa. So it has a similar stoned-out comedy vibe. Nice. Okay. Well, that's cool. I like that. Right. But yeah. Richard Belzer, he's funny? It's got a lot of people. I think okay. it's like Martin Cove in this one briefly. I think Marty so. Cove? I yeah. think so. There's, there's a lot of uh, people from before they were stars. This film, I think, is perhaps the one that kind of kick-started uh, a lot of these, like, proto SNL type films. Oh yeah, it's 1974, so it's the earliest of the ones that you guys are showing. That's cool. Uh, so then we are going to go back to some more Paul Winkus, and I'd say this might be your deep cut double feature of the month. Must, must be one. Of, well, this and maybe when we get to rodeo, but uh, this one I hadn't, I hadn't heard of either of these titles before. Me neither. Um, the case against Brooklyn. Somewhere in this town, there's a man more powerful than the mayor, the district attorney, the chief of police. He's more powerful because he has the police in his pay. And the law belongs to the highest bidder. Look, Norris, I have over 7,000 men under me. You've got to expect a few rotten apples. Or more than a few. I'm talking about a payoff that runs into millions of dollars. From past experience, we know that what we need is some honest cops to catch a few crooked ones. Uh, which is looked like a kind of crime syndicate noir and looked yeah, you know, really well shot and looked fun. It's like a film noir starring Darren McGavin. Mm-hmm. And then Taro, a beachhead, which actually um, looked utterly gorgeously shot. The, the, the stuff I looked up online as a war film, it looked, it looked like the stark black and white photography. I, it, it actually looked like something. As soon as I saw a little bit of it, I was like, oh, I, I would like to see this one. Um, I guess I don't really – Guadalcanal, maybe similar – uh, kind of similar setting to um, Thin Red Line, I guess, because that's the Gu- Battle of Guadalcanal. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of footage 
in the war, but it's primarily about a commanding officer who maybe kills one of his own men, and uh-huh. then somebody sees that and doesn't report it, and then back home they have an interesting relationship because the man who didn't report it kind of starts to woo the dead man's widow. Who I believe is Julie Adams? I believe so. R.I.P. One of the greats who just yeah, recently passed Julie away. Adams. from. Um, so cool. Cool that she – yeah, no, they both look really interesting. And I, I love that this has been the case of each of the three calendars so far uh, of something that, you know, there's a couple of these movies that we just haven't even heard of yeah. double featured. It's it's exciting. It's when, like discovery. Yeah. It's totally. Kind of how films. I feel about TCM in general. You yeah. know, there will always be something every week where I'm like, wait, I don't even know what that is. Record. Yeah, that's what I love about (laughs) watching films is as much as you think you've covered all your bases, there's always more to see and discover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's taking five of us to try to cover a calendar, and we'll, we'll never have seen it all. That's yeah, what's so great about it. Exciting. You know? And We're these are two, two more Sony archive prints, which is cool. I'm sure they will look very nice. Um, so what's next? We got the Bruce, Bruce Lye uh, double. another Monday matinee. Oh. Ah, yes. My bad. Uh, I, I'm going to just guess this is a big deal. To you. Love, love <laughs> Clueless. Oh, my too. gosh. And I think it's, it's an underrated film. It's one that I saw so many times when I was young. Ah, as if. Cher's got attitude about high school boys. It's a personal choice every woman has got to make for themselves. Cher is saving herself for Luke Perry. Cher, you're a virgin? I mean, I'm not prude. I'm just highly selective. I mean, you see how picky I am about my shoes, and they only go on my feet. Nice stems. Thanks. And a film that is so much fun to watch again now that I live in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> now I know where everything is. I'm like, oh, my God, that was the, the mall in Westwood. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's so funny. But um, Alicia Silverstone, and, of course, it's based on Jane Austen's Emma. And uh, it's so... It's so subversive. It's funny. Paul Rudd, who hasn't aged a day, he still it's, looks it's the same. It's kind of uncanny, isn't it? It's yes. Bizarre. The the fashions, yeah. like the music. Uh, there's so much to enjoy in this film, and it's so quotable too. I love that the mantle's fresh and full of life. Yeah. <laughs> the fresh maker, Brittany Murphy. Yeah. I oh, mean, a wonderful he. cast and just an iconic film. And particularly now, the '90s have come back in such a big way with fashion. Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely beca- circled back as being an inspiration. Yeah. yeah, directed by Amy Heckerling, who of course yes. did uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is also amazing to do that in two decades. To like, it's like lightning striking twice. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. And she was uh, so when she did Fast Times, that she was the first female director hired at Universal since yeah. like 19. 19- 18 or 19 oh, yeah they they used to boast by having the most female directors working and wow. they had universal city where they had you know a female mayor and they really pushed wow. the fact that they had female directors and then from like the mid 1920s right up to 1981 they didn't hire a single female filmmaker huh. <laughs> it, 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 do you ever there's probably no reason for that right it's probably it's just money insidious. yeah it's, yeah, just it's it money that became a business yeah. and so Men came into town and took over. We've been trying to fight our way back yeah, in. You should write a since. book on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot to say about that. I have a lot to say. But I love Amy, Amy Heckling for sure. She's yeah. great. No, I love uh, Johnny great. Dangerously. That's another one she did uh-huh. that doesn't get enough press. And I hope that the new Bev will play it at some point. I'm imagining it could come up. It's yeah. going to be yeah. a fun one to see in L.A. Very cool. She's one of the few people I've met, or seen, not met, but seen in L.A. where I felt starstruck to my core. Because of this movie, because yes. of what it meant. This and um, what was the uh, crush? Because, like, you know, I'm probably 15, 16 when I saw these and just had a big crush on yeah. her in Crush. And then to see her, I think I was standing right next to her at the, some 
uh, one of those fairs where they have fairy fairs or something, and she's just like feeding her kid and saying, "I'm just going. This is surreal. This is you know." She just really she has quality. It was great to see her show up in um, Yargus's uh, yeah, sacred killing deer. of a sacred. It was kind deer. of fantastic. Just one scene, but it's still really. And great. I actually and, saw Alicia Silverstone the other night at oh, a bar, cool. oh, and I funny. walked past, and me and my friend both looked at each other and said, "Oh my God, I love Josh." <laughs> <laughs> That's totally. a pretty good accent you're pulling Josh. up there. I'm pretty impressed. That is good. Wow. Yeah, I think Can you do that accent for the rest of the show? That's the yeah. challenge. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I think people forget, like, how big of a deal she was. Oh, I yeah. mean, and for me, I think maybe I mentioned it on the show. I think I think I did when we talked about Blast from the Past. Oh, yeah. Was that I was working at a video store in the 1990s, and that was her big period. And so you couldn't, you know, turn around without looking at uh, an Alicia Silverstone blockbuster that was on the wall somewhere, you know? Mm. And so, like, yeah, seeing her would be a big, big deal to me right and now. And a fellow Alicia. Yes, you there know? you go. Excess baggage. Go. Everyone needs to hear that movie. <laughs> hey, I like, I like excess. And, uh, Somebody had to. She so. was that girl, wasn't she? Uh, yes, oh, yeah. yes, Bat- yes. Batman and Oh, jeez, I had totally forgotten that. Yes. Like a total <laughs> blank there. Is that the one with Poison Ivy? That's yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. the one it's with the same one. And Arnie Batman. and everyone. That yeah. talk about overloaded with stars. What yeah. a crazy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Clueless is would probably be. I mean, that's actually a perfect matinee. It's a perfect movie to see in I'm the middle of the day. For yeah. sure. Genius. <laughs> so that's great. And then we go into the Bruce Lee, Bruce, Bruce Li, Bruce, Bruce Lie double. Yes. Um, so tell us, Jules. What can you tell us about these guys? Because we have not been able to see either of these movies. Wow, I'm so happy that you threw that to me. I'll I know. Be I like sure to put to get, you on the spot. I'll, I'll be sure to get back um, at you. Yeah, yeah. I, I am not our resident kung fu expert. Okay. Uh, Brian? Fortune, is yes, Brian, Brian yeah, yeah. Quinn is. Or, or, and we'll bring Brian on. Quentin at some point, yeah. is programmed this. is the yeah. huge. I mean, he has a huge 35 collection. And you know. Well, he can come on and talk about this, too. Uh, <laughs> I think he knows. Anytime. He has an open, has an open invitation. invitation. I know he listens. So, yeah, yeah. Quentin, you have an open invitation. To Excellent. come and do a much better job of talking about Bruce Lee than us. So one of them, one of these films is actually about Bruce Lee. The story, it, it actually, it, it sounds really interesting. Is it this one or one of the next doubles where one of them's about how they think he had died and somebody goes out for revenge? I read a little bit on one. I was like, that sounds fascinating. No, no, nope. Phil no. says no. I don't. I don't think so. I think uh, the image of Bruce Lee is a, a retitling oh. because Bruce Lee wears the yellow jumpsuit at one Uh point in the movie and someone's like hey you look like Bruce Lee (laughs) and so the US distributor uh, really seized on that but there I like is... my idea so much better. <laughs> Can we green light that movie? <laughs> I, I, I could be wrong. A I, Bruce Lee revenge film? I get a lot of these mixed up, but uh, I know Mark Hoyk did a great piece on these two, which is going to be up on the blog soon. Nice. Um, Carl Scott uh, is the co-star of Soul Brothers of Kung Fu. He's been on our screen a bunch of times, mm. um, most recently in Kung Fu Executioner. He was wow. uh, a black martial artist working in Hong Kong. He made foreign films, but... He made a, a lasting impression. Uh, I know that Riza was really name checking him when he did uh, "Man with the Iron Fists." Oh, interesting! As one of his key influences, even though his filmography was pretty short. Um, and rumor has it that Carl Scott lives in Los Angeles now. Oh. So we are trying our darndest to get him out because. I can't imagine uh, the stories he has to tell working in the Hong Kong film industry. Oh, yeah, uh, that'd be remarkable. The, the late 70s mm-hmm. would probably be a, a pretty wild time. 
And I love that you guys are almost always have some kung fu movies because I think that's the closest to what real grindhouses and would have felt like. Some of those movies are just so wild, you know. So I think, and I, I can't imagine there's many theaters left in the world playing those movies on a big screen anymore, which is always I don't know, kind of heartbreaking. It's so yeah. much little bits of history that just keep disappearing. But and, and like you said, we didn't really get to experience that, so mm-hmm. I always want that to exist to keep exist, the Forty Second Street kind of vibe. So yeah. Um, so now, uh, unfortunately, yeah, you won't have much to say on this one. Um, there's a little <laughs> film on a Wednesday afternoon. I, this is, again, another one, one I just utterly love as well, um, Mildred Pierce. Mildred. Mildred. A name gasped in the night. The one last word of a dying man. But one word that tells a thousand stories of a woman who left her mark on every man she met. Mildred had more to offer a man in a glance than most women give in a lifetime. Mildred knew what she wanted. It wasn't too particular how she got it. Mildred? Loving her was like shaking hands with the devil. Mildred Pierce, and I just wrote an intro, I think the other day, uh, for an upcoming screening of it on TCM. Oh, cool. And uh, I love that this is the film that Joan Crawford won her only Oscar for and accepted it from her bed. <laughs> She's such a queen. That is um, yeah. wow. And this was a role that, you know, some actresses didn't want because you had to play a mother of a 16-year-old. And, of course, with ageism in Hollywood, they didn't want to age themselves yeah. up and play a mother of, of a grown child. Um, and Barbara Stanwyck actually was one person who mm. really wanted to do this role because she'd just done Double Indemnity, which is also based on a James M. Cain book, as this is too. And so she really wanted this role. Uh, Joan Crawford had to say, I will audition for you, Mm. which she never did, but she wanted this so badly. So she did an audition for Michael Curtiz and he was so engrossed in her audition he forgot to call cut because she was so brilliant. And it is a a great role for her. Uh, She plays a mother who just wants... To her daughter to love her. She wants to keep her children at a la- nice life, a nice level. So she works her way up, a hardworking mother. But her daughter, it, played by Anne Blythe, is very, very greedy and selfish and cunning. Uh, so it's kind of like a film noir with two women at the center of it, which is really rare. And also like a, a divorcee, I think at that point seems like it would have been rare on screen yeah. to follow them as a central character. Exactly. And and, and uh, it's funny because she, Mildred Pierce, when she goes to to work and she's working in a, in a restaurant as a waitress, uh, apparently Joan Crawford wanted to do it in full hair and makeup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> they were funny. like, no, no, don't, you know, we don't want that Joan Crawford. We yeah, want yeah. you to really tone it down. But she did such a wonderful job at this and there's some powerful scenes in this movie. Yeah, especially some of the big revelations that happen along the way. There's some, really, you know, it's quite shocking in a way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I always remember like, and this isn't really spoiler, it's just the, the last thing you see is a, a woman cleaning a floor <laughs> as she walks out of a room. And, and I think I, I saw this in a class that might have been like, you know, feminist, feminism on film or something. But it really did kind of hit you because you just realize like nothing really changes. And mm-hmm. these are power positions that people are stuck in. And it's, it's yes. a really great film. Yeah. And it is quite different to the book. So I've read the book mm. and um, it's a Mildred Pierce in the book. She, in order to get more money for her daughter, she ends up like sleeping with men and like oh, getting a lot of money from men. Darker, yeah. But they changed that because they wanted to make the mother more noble. Plus it helped to get around the censors at the time in the Hollywood production huh. cut 
code. I'm surprised you know? Todd Haynes didn't do that version for his. <laughs> yeah. It would have made sense with that. I know. I wrote this down because, in case you hadn't heard this, because you'd probably like this. Uh, James, what James M. Kane sent to Joan Crawford. Did you hear that? So when, after he saw the film, he sent her a signed first edition of the original novel, and it wrote, and he wrote in it to Joan Crawford, who brought Mildred Pierce to life, just as I'd always hoped she would be, and who has my lifelong gratitude. I'm like, isn't that just like the coolest thing to think of? Like this hard noir writer writing that. T- I love stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it's super sweet little man. Yeah. Uh, and also shot by the guy who did Gone with the Wind, Ribble Without a Cause, whatever, it, Baby, yes. Baby J. So much. It's a really well shot movie. Um, if you love film noir, even though it's less of a film direct film noir, mm-hmm. it starts the aesthetic of one. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's one of those movies that as, as much as, you know, she got an award for it and everything, I still feel like it's not talked about with the reverence it should be because it's a great movie like mm-hmm. really good movie and uh i remember last time i watched it i was just like god damn that's a good movie and michael curtiz and everything and it's still in her i just feel like even though it's got a criterion blu-ray and everything but i still feel like people more people need to see this movie you I just agree. go watch it i think it's it maybe falls through the genre because like, you know you have crime movies could be and you have romance and it's neither of those and it's some it's, yeah, bits, it's not and really a, drama. a women's picture yeah. but it's got a great uh, female protagonist that, yeah. it's going to be wonderful to see it on a big screen hell yeah do, do we know anything about the print of this one i think the print of that one is coming from the studio it should look fantastic oh okay. excellent yeah, no. excellent all right so on to a little uh rodeo double feature yeah, the other real deep cut of the month. I didn't know Cliff Robertson had ever directed a film, let alone directed and starred. And wrote. And wrote, yeah. Um, (laughs) So this is his passion project. Yeah. And you've seen it. I have seen it. Uh, J.W. Coop uh, is the first of the two films playing. And yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think it's one that is going to, for me, will take a couple viewings to fully soak in. But but it's really interesting in that it's... um, it's like a sort of, me- I don't want to say meandering, but it, it's got a laid back sort of narrative in that like his character gets out of prison at the beginning of the movie and goes back home and sees his mom played by Geraldine Page, who's clearly like uh, has dementia or something and then sort of starts, you know, <laughs> it's it's really interesting because it's, it's got, I don't want to throw the Ashby card down, but it's got like some odd colorful characters along the way, you know, that just show up. Uh, he there's a neat bit where he he gets a um he's sort of he, he he goes to jail because he wrote a bad check and i guess like the he got like five years of the, he got that five film? years That's on crazy. a bad check and then i guess he like assaulted the oh. sheriff and that got him like three more it. years yeah. or something when did you get back i got back last night well, bitch. damn been a long time jw yeah. what six seven years no nine years nine months 13 days God damn. <laughs> Just for one little pinch of check? Yeah. Well, I got, you know, three che- three for the check and two for the sheriff. What sheriff? Well, the guy arrested me in Lone Hill. That's right. You beat shit out of that guy, didn't you, J.W.? Yeah. What'd you get the other three, four years for? Oh, same thing, you know, giving the guards a hard time. Yeah. Now, what you gonna do now, J.W.? Well, pick up where I left off. Rodeoing? Yep. Where? Where I left off. Lone Hill? Yep. You working? Working for Chico. Your brother. That's right. This here's his truck. One of them. Damn. Tacos, huh? Oh, yeah. Taco stands. He's got them franchised. Is that right? That's right. He's got six of them. 
one in Paco's, one in Red Wing, one in the Gardner, two in Abilene, and one right here in Chickawa. Damn. Like he's up to his ass and tacos. But everything's very low-key. And so, you know, he's he still goes back to his hometown where the cop, the sheriff that put him in jail is. And you're kind of like, well, that's not really good. Maybe you shouldn't stay hang around. And then he gets a ticket from another cop. And, you know, for the, ca- the car, he's got, like, some exhaust problem. And he just ditches his car and is like, fuck it, I'm just going to uh, hitchhike and go do rodeos. And that's kind of where the movie goes. And he meets this sort of hippie girl at, like, Crossroads. And she becomes sort of a character in the movie. So it's, like, really interesting in terms of, like, where it drifts. And um, he sort of – it sort of follows him on the rodeo circuit. Yeah, as soon as I was looking it up and the other one, I kept thinking of the new film this year, The Writer. Did you catch The yes. Writer? Yes. Yeah, it's a really beautifully really made film. Yep. But it, it definitely feels like it could be the third part of these these films. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's interesting for sure. I mean, um, it's neat that uh, – did I don't know. How many films did he direct? Not a lot, I don't think, right? Not very many. I think maybe there was one or two after this. Yeah. Um, but this seems like it was his passion project. He researched it forever. He interviewed mm-hmm. – actual rodeo writers for years and he ended up casting tons of those rodeo writers in the film um hmm. yeah. in a variety of parts it's so got it's, it's got that feel really uh entrenched in that world for a couple of years yeah no it's interesting it's got an interesting sort of 70s ending if you will and um but but i liked it i it's just one of those where i'm like I, I think I, this one's going to grow on me. It's one of those kind of movies. And that one, I think it was on Amazon or somewhere, right? It had popped up. Yeah, it's available to stream. I was surprised it, it seemed like. But the, the other film, the other one is very hard to even research. Riding Tall, a.k.a. Squares. Couldn't find a trailer. Could hardly find stills from this movie. Uh, and it, But then reading about it, it looks really funny. It looks like a different tone. Do you know anything? I think it's going to be similar to J.W. Coop. I, I haven't seen it, but yeah. it seems like another 70s downbeat culture clash hmm. of a rough and tough but kind of loser rodeo hmm. circuit guy played by Andrew Prine and he meets a uh, Vassar dropout and they kind of have to come to terms with themselves and each other in in a changing time hmm. okay well Deep cut. Yeah, deep cut. Uh, not, deep not cut on double. DVD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it has an AKA of squares, which I believe that might be the title that will come up on screen. Oh. Oh, okay. This Interesting. Quint- and it's Quentin's print, so okay. he's a fan. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, writing told didn't bring anything. So, uh, okay. Yeah, that Good. one, I'm intrigued. Uh, and the next ones, you, know, you just skip if you don't like laughter and joy. Oh, um, <laughs> going to move through that. Very, uh, this is definitely going to be one of the picks of the month from all of us, I'm sure. Yeah, that's These are two maybe my absolute. Two of the most fun movies and, and also quite different, which I think is great. Like, it's a, I think this is a great double. I think they play off each other perfectly. Uh, Young Frankenstein mm-hmm. from 1974. Frankenstein. <laughs> and uh, and don't, don't, uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, which I – and I'm so glad when you you talked about how much you loved it and people don't talk about it because that's how I felt when I saw all those years ago. And it's I, I guess you're right. And people don't really talk about it much. And it's genius. Absolutely. How the way, well, let's go back to Young Frankenstein okay. first. Young Frankenstein. Yes. Well, the thing I love about Mel Brooks's movies is that you can tell that he has a real reverence for cinema. He loves yeah. movies. And so it's a loving spoof on, yeah. on the films that, like, I remember seeing Spaceballs yeah. when I was young. And I actually saw Spaceballs before I saw Star Wars. <laughs> and so when I <laughs> finally saw Star Wars, Wars because no one really was into Star Wars yeah. in my circle, and so when I finally saw Star Wars, I was like, "Oh, that's where it came <laughs> from." 
but That's uh, where Pizza the Hut joke came. Yeah. <laughs> but being that I loved, you know, classic films growing up and uh, the monster movies, yeah. I just really adored this movie when I saw it as a kid, and it still brings me so much joy. Yeah. What is it? What's the matter? Quick, give him the. Quick, give him the. What? Give him the what? Three syllables. First syllable. Sounds like head. Uh, sounds like head. Bed. Uh, said. 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 Second syllable. Little bird. Uh, this that so. Uh, oh. Said. Uh, said. Uh, dirty word. He said a dirty word. Sounds, sounds like. like uh, to give. Said. Said. Uh, give. Give him a said a give. Oh, dear, dear, sedative. On the nosy. Oh. And what a cast. Everyone's so good. Yeah, awesome. it's Terry Gunn, mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn. Yeah. Peter Boyle, Marty oh, Feldman. Yeah. Marty. <laughs> gotta love Marty. Yeah, it was funny. I've, I've shown this to my daughter a few times, and she's a fan, but we hadn't watched it in a while, and I put it on Monday night, and right before we're going to go to sleep, and... She's been giving me a little static about black and white movies lately. She's like, ugh, why isn't it in color? And she didn't used to because she used to be bigger, but suddenly she's a snob about it. And then she started sitting there and watching it, and she's like, you know what, Dad? It's okay that this is in black and white because this movie is really good. And I'm like, yes, you know it's really good. Still works. Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, so then she got into it because it's awesome. It's still so funny. I just adore it. Well, the thing you just said that I wasn't really thinking about. I, I love what you said about Young Frank about um, uh, Young Frankenstein being a, a love letter to other cinema, which makes a lot of sense why these two might have been paired. Because obviously, mm-hmm. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid is literally an homage. But inc- what's genius about it is that they include classic film noir to to cr- set up gags in the in the in the A story with Steve Martin as a detective, and some of them are hilarious, They're so funny, and offbeat, and it's utterly oddball, but it's so much fun. I mean, Carl Reiner just has a comic touch that's totally deaf especially the two of them together yeah, yeah. i love their friendship yeah you know yeah. And they still have this great friendship yeah. yeah and i think and part of the tagline is uh from the people uh who brought you the jerk and this is our you were trying to make it up to you now <laughs> which i think is great but this um, is a really smart movie yeah there's so many good scenes there's a great scene um i think it's from suspicion they go through at the end of the movie and show all the movies that they've for those who don't know, like it's basically you kind of explain it. It's like he plays Steve Martin plays a detective named Rigby Reardon, and he's on sort of a case, but they've found a way to intercut scenes from classic films throughout, yeah. and so he's interacting with those scenes. And they like Bogart re- and everyone. Yeah, there's a great the running gag yeah. where he's making fun of Bogart. Well, Marlowe, damn it, you didn't do what I told you. You know how I hate that dumb way of wearing a shirt button with no tie. Let me get you a tie. Here. This one's blue, but you can wear it with brown. You annoy me. I annoy you. You come in here with no tuck. You drunk? How many have you had? One martini. I knew I was going to see you. Sit down. I think that's wonderful. There's also a really good scene with him in a train car with Cary Grant where... It's just great what you can do with somebody's... Like, Cary Grant says something like, I hope you don't mind if I smoke. And he's like... I, he's like, well, I have, I have tuberculosis. Cary <laughs> <laughs> Grant's like, well, ha- well, thank heavens for that. Just like the way they, they roll it, it's yeah. just amazing. So there's so many good bits in it. And it's truly one of my favorite comedies from the yeah. 80s. I, I just adore it. And the way that they are able to 
intermingle the black and white footage mm. with the the footage of Steve Martin in black and white is so perfect. I just, and another woman I had to crush on, Rachel Ward, who I think is an Aussie. Stunning. She's amazing. I believe Rachel Ward was an Aussie. Unless yeah, she's she South African. Okay, yeah. Aussie, yeah. If she's, she's great just in not, we'll still take her. Yeah, yeah. She's definitely not from New Zealand. We don't, we really don't produce good. that. Okay. <laughs> no, I, she's really wonderful. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, what a great double, though. The, this yeah, would be one of the most double. fun you could possibly have in a movie theater. So Bring your kids. Do not miss that one. Okay. Um, we, so what are we, midnight? Um, yes. Yes. Kill well, Bill Friday, Bill. we're going to have Kill Bill Volume 1. Yep, Kill Bill Volume 1. And then uh, this is another, you know, major Australian uh, film, uh, Man from Snowy River. Mm-hmm, yes. He had only one wish, to prove himself a man. Make your plan with someone else's daughter. I didn't carve this place out of the bush to see Jessica run off with the first fortune hunter to come along. She had only one dream to find out who she was. Why do you keep this portrait of my mother? I have a right to know. A lot of pain and suffering when you try to dig up the past. Jessica! 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 Help me! All I wanted was to see you again, to be with you. So I hung on until you came. Jessica. It's another one I grew up on. Though I'd forgotten that Kirk Douglas was the, like in he my brain, it was all Australians. Two two roles. Yeah, but he I plays didn't himself that. and his twin brother. Oh, I love <laughs> it. With a beard yeah. on. And this was another film I watched so many times as a kid. Uh, Man from Snowy River, you know, that was a, a poem by Banjo Patterson. Yeah. And here, you know, it's about a, a guy who goes to a, a cattle farm run by an Australian rancher and he falls for his daughter. Mm. And there's a lot of tension there, but it's got the great scene, very iconic Australian scene of the horse galloping down the mountain. There's a big horse chase and it goes down this really steep mountain, which I think actually the horse didn't do very well from, Mm. you know, I don't think there was much... um, Safety there in terms of uh, yeah, animal safety on set, but you it mean is no such film a great. safety in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like, she'll be right, mate. Cue the exploitation <laughs> documentary. <be> <laughs> oh God, yeah. Um, but uh, it is such a wonderful scene. And yeah, no, it's utterly stunning. And and I remember it being really a romantic movie. That was yeah, my it like is. that's what I re- that's why I didn't even remember Kirk Douglas. My memory was like no, the romance and yeah. the, and the feeling of the the romantic way you look at the horse. Secret Thornton. Yeah, no. Like, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it was a, another film that played all the time, and this Very is iconic and great score as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was a huge um, hit. That's the thing. It was mm-hmm. like I was looking it up. It was three point five million, and it made over twenty back then for a mm-hmm. movie like that. That from Australia, that's a huge deal, and so I think it's often touted as the biggest Australian film. You know, yeah, at but, the time, yeah, so. Crocodile Dundee and might have eclipsed it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two claims to fame. I thought that was a documentary. <laughs> All right, that ain't enough. Let's move on. Oh. <laughs> but uh, again, that's a great one. So that's going to be, and I, I think that is totally appropriate. And directed for by kids. George T. Miller, not to be confused uh, with yeah. the other George because he's not a doctor like the other George. <laughs> not a doctor, yeah, <laughs> Dr. George. Um, and then we get one that I, I, another one I'm, I'm less familiar with: Tunnel Vision um, from '76. What do you know about Tunnel Vision? It's another one of those stoned out comedy <laughs> sketch films, and it's got a lot of the same people as Groove Tube. So it's got. Chevy Chase, but then it also has some of the other key skit players from that time. So John Candy and Joe Flaherty, 
for Paul Thomas Anderson fans, uh, his dad. Uh, oh, yeah, Ernie. Er, Ernie Anderson, he's yeah. in it, and he also does some voiceover in it. This is television of the future, and here's a sneak preview of the new shows you'll see on Tunnel Vision 1985. On Mondays, laugh it up with the best of Marie. Just one little hug. Oh. <laughs> Followed by Knocked Up and On the Run, The Pregnant Man. But if you are a fan of Kentucky Fried Movie, The Groove Tube, Amazon Women on the Moon, and everything you always want to know about sex but are afraid to ask, and haven't seen Tunnel Vision, then that one's for you. For it the basi- completists. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it posits a TV network of the future of 1985, and this film's from 76, so it's 10 years in the future. This is what people will be watching on TV, and it's sort of... <laughs> idiocracy-esque or something like that where it's just incredibly dumb slash brilliant at the same time and directed by neil israel it looks like so it would go on to do police academy and uh hmm. one of my faves moving violations oh yeah mm. um, um saint patrick's day saint patty's day my people <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> yes um, yeah, neat double feature here on the 17th and 18th. Both IB Tech prints oh, going to cool. be lovely. You have Darby O'Gill and The Little People, followed by John Ford's film The Quiet Man. Um, you were just talking about Darby. Uh, I, I just rewatched Darby. But you had watched it a lot when you were young. Yeah. Right? See, that, this is a movie that wasn't on my radar when I was a kid at all. So It's just another one of the, the grocery store, video store. We, they just had all that live-action Disney stuff. Mm. So. I don't know. This one, I was like, ooh, leprechauns? Sure, I'll try yeah. that. Uh, and and Sean, so it's got Sean Connery in it, and yeah. he, he sings a, a lovely song <laughs> at the end of the movie, I think. Um, but yeah, it's sort of about the this um, old man who's kind of like the town, um, I don't know, I guess not drunk exactly, but liar. Like just They call pro- him a wily codger. Yeah. <laughs> I love those guys. <laughs> he, is, he is that. Experience again. The incredible adventures of Darby O'Gill and the lost kingdom of the little people. Once you're here, there's no going back. Here's entertainment to delight the entire family with Sean Connery and King Brian, the fun-lovingest leprechaun ever to rule the land of enchantment. Don't miss Walt Disney's Darby O'Gill and the little people. Rated G. It's a touch of magic from Walt Disney. So he's prone to making up stories and, uh, you know, actually stumbles upon some leprechauns and this hidden area and it's it becomes this whole um sort of metaphysical thing it, it, they look really well shot though. i mean i was watching the trailer and i was like oh i want to watch this just the way they yeah it's all in camera effects so yeah there's a really deep. interesting specter effect that they do mm-hmm. that's like kind of a um not photo re- reversal but like i don't know it's interesting it, it's not like anything you see now mm-hmm. um but but yeah it's it's a nice little fable story you know and uh, and he's a good character and and connery's got some good bits you know very it's it's around the marnie period he's a little i think younger than than that maybe but um but yeah it's it's a fun disney movie it'll be brilliant to see an ib tech print of it that'd be did you guys uh, either of you see this when you were young darby I saw it when I was, oh, like, it was when you're in. like yeah probably like seven or something. Because my grandparents used to take me to all the Disney films yeah. every weekend was a new one. So, but I, I have not seen this in at least thirty years. Oh so nice! Just, mm. I feel it's going to be a rediscovery. And what I really like about this pairing is that um, 
Starbill Gill and the Little People and the Quiet Man, that for St. Patrick's Day, that's just a classic yeah. repertory theater double bill. Mm-hmm. And I, I love when those kind of pop up on the on the New Beverly calendar. I think we do a nice job of, of balancing that and just getting that real classic, like, oh man, for years and years, families went to that double bill and now we have a chance to do it again. Oh, and wow. Been, See, this was a regular, these that two. That was a regular, yeah, that was so a big, yeah. Because I wouldn't necessarily... Uh, have put these two films together. Yeah, well, for St. Patty's Day, it totally makes sense. Ireland, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah. it totally makes sense. But that's so neat that it was a staple. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's good that you also have a, an extra screening in case people are too drunk on St. Patty's <laughs> yeah. Day. You can go the next <laughs> day, true. and I think that's great. Busy celebrating. Uh, but uh, and 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 you know, the John and John Wayne's really good in this film. That's <laughs> it's a very different performance from him. Uh, Maureen O'Hara is also. Uh, it's a it's a lively film. I haven't seen in a long time, but I I remember the politics of it being real dicey because he's so often dragging her places yes, and it's yeah, and kicking it her in the butt and it's but it's hilarious it's like i don't know it's it's yeah, a very this, charming movie i have some troubles with this one personally <laughs> yeah it is it's one of those films that becomes harder to watch now yeah, yeah, especially yeah. with all the conversation going on but i do love marina o'hara She's in this amazing. film yeah. and i think i discovered it through et because there was the was that the moment oh. where he's kissing the girl and he pulls her back Oh, it's in it, on think, TV and ET. I think so. Yeah, oh, wow. I think I remember possible. being like, "What is that film? I need to watch that." But cool. I haven't seen The Quiet Man for such a long time. Yeah. So. Now this, I, I, I really think I want to go to this double because I haven't because I haven't seen the first one. And if they're going to be IB Tech Prints, that sounds like uh, very appealing. But we can't drink no, in the theater, right? So that's never happened. Absolutely no yeah. drinking. So let's be clear about that <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day. Extra security. Um, um, all right. Double. So what's uh, do we have an afternoon? No. On the Monday, we yes, do. yes. Oh, yes, this is the one, the one I'm really excited about. I, I think uh, Elric uh, <laughs> rewatched at the bit. it and oh. has been eager yeah, to talk about it. I haven't seen this one, so I want to hear about it because oh, I love Antonio Bird. <laughs> and it's got some of your Aussies in here. Um, well, yeah. Aussie. Uh, yeah, no, so I saw Revenus in 99 in the theaters, and it was, you know, this is a couple years after Scream. A lot of teen horror was dominating the scene. And I remember this came out, and I was super interested in it. I, I was, a, you know, I watched Neighbors when I was a kid, you know, as, <laughs> as you did, and no one else at this table knows what the hell we're talking yeah. about. It's the local. <laughs> soap opera that's been going for 20 years in Australia and Guy Pearce was one of the main heartthrobs on that for a very long time as was a lot of major yeah. actors from here but uh, and Kylie Minogue yeah Kylie Minogue I mean, just, <laughs> just so, so many people will cut their teeth on that um, and you know this movie was so different you know set in the it's not the Civil War but it's, right, it's the Mexican-American War and uh, it, it just felt it didn't feel like the other movies but I, it was an oddity and it didn't completely connect to me at the time Captain John Boyd is about to discover... No one just ends up at Fort Spencer. We come for a reason. Yours being? Well, something he never imagined. We have a great sense of camaraderie here at Fort Spencer. (laughs) This Indian scout told me a curious story. Winged eagle. It's an old Indian myth from the north. Man eats the flesh of another. (laughs) He absorbs the other man's strength. Now, one man must choose between others. Between having dinner and being dinner. Uh, even, even funnily enough, even the score at the time was like, ah, oh, that's weird. And I knew it was Damon Albarn. 
it turns out it's Damon Albarn with Michael Nyman creating a score together. Whoa. And watching it again last night or the night before, uh, this of all the rewatches I've had this year, this utterly blew me away. The score is one of the best I've ever seen. I mean, just I was totally floored by how creative and smart it's and, and the infusion of both their styles of music at different points of the film. Mm-hmm. But um, the cast is brilliant. You've got um, Jeffrey Jones, uh, Guy Pearce, Robert Carlyle, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Davies in early role, David Arquette, uh, and... Robert Carlyle is just I, I was just actually talking about the same movie on on Shockwaves be, uh, to try to get people to kind of come to this as well because I think this is one of the great big bads I think Robert Carlyle gives such a great performance and it's really nuanced he gets to play not two different roles but two different sides of a role um, in this and it's basic the basic setup is um, uh, it's so it's set during this war and it opens that Guy Pierce is being honored and getting this the highest award you know you can get as a soldier because he he took some uh, tower uh, but to do that the truth is he actually just uh, you know put his gun down and pretended to have been dead while all his uh, com- comrades are being killed around him and he hid under all their bodies out of cowardice because he knows it's the only way to survive and then he kind of wakes up behind enemy lines after blood has been dripping on his face and maybe a little bit into his mouth and then suddenly he he's seized with all this kind of power to take over this tower. This is kind of the flashback, but his uh, ranking colonel knows how he got that, and he's like, I want you as far away from here as possible. I'm sending you to the, the banishing you to an outpost. And so there's just these weird characters in this outpost, like Jeffrey, you know, Jeffrey Jones runs the outpost, so you know what you're in for. Um, it's oddball stuff, and, and so it's really fun, and they're kind of all getting to know each other, and then he sees some figure in the window, and he's like, who's that guy? And it's basically, a guy, this is where Robert Carlo comes into the story, and he's a guy who's been out uh, in the wilderness for, he says, you know, it could be like weeks uh, without having eaten food. And they start interviewing him, trying to find out who is this mysterious figure. And he tells this tale of this group of the search, this party that kind of got lost. And that eventually, you know, one of them decided that we'd have to eat one of them. And I was really reticent to do it. I didn't, you know, didn't want. And he tells this long winded story and he says, you know, but there's one, two of them might have survived. So we should go back and look for them. So he takes this group of people into the middle of nowhere, a few days travel. And um, the, the first clue that, and I'm going to make sure I don't go past spoilers, but the first clue that signs off is, uh, I think it's Jeremy Davies' character wakes up in the middle of the night and he, and he goes, he was licking my foot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first clue that weird stuff's about to go down. He's like, oh, I, you know, I was licking it, but I, I, was, I was just sleepwalking. <laughs> and then Robert Carlyle goes from being an eccentric to being like an all-timer villain. And it's got uh, some stuff. And the stuff that has a sequence that takes place at a cave where, the, where you're basically going to figure out what this movie's going to be. And he's actually scary. Like there, it's unnerving some of the performance stuff he's doing. Utterly fantastic, and the, and then where it goes, it really becomes a power play between two two major characters, mm. um, and it really this this kind of joke line, you know, live to eat, don't eat to live, becomes the central metaphor all the way through uh, about survival, and and it really surprised me. What a great. Um, you know, Antonio Bird had had directed Priest, which you know had gotten quite a lot of attention at the time. But again, and it's one Mad of those, Love, which yeah, I really which got really less attention. But. I love it. I cut my hair like Drew Barrymore after I saw that film because I loved it so much. But it's sad it because she's well. one of those ones who I feel got attention <laughs> after she died. You yeah, know, everyone's talking about oh, it's so tragic that she died, and I feel like like a lot of great directors yeah, when there's a lot of years in between. Yeah, when she was here, and it's super quirky, so I kind of understand why it might not have led. But it's so well directed. That was mm. the thing I watching at this time. 
all the choices are, are you know really fantastic and uh I, I just thought this was a super exciting film to re- revisit and uh i don't usually get quite this excited <laughs> 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 but the score especially i mean I, I would just listen to the score alone but uh it, it, is there anything uh was you know how does this film fit into the program and obviously woman directed well first off i want to point out that it's an extremely grisly yeah. horror film, but it's also just a completely pitch black comedy. Toby Hooper, uh, they they always the joke was uh, that they called it any humor that's so dark that it's darker than black humor. They called red humor, and Mick Garris often uses that term to describe Toby Hooper. And I think that's I think it very much in line with like Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre, the first one, because he thought that was funny. You know, most of us just think of it as scary, but he genuinely thought there's this this humor to it. And I think part two's I think it could actually pair well with part two, Ravenous and part two, because there's some. I think Ravenous is the better movie, but uh, but they're both kind of interesting. So that that humor I think is definitely there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there was a, a gentleman who was directing it, uh, directing the film, and then he got pulled because oh, he was not able to balance the tone on the no, film because it's so it's oddly placed. Hmm. And then Robert Car- Carlyle suggested uh, Antonia Bird and uh, because brought her in, and then she totally killed it. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. And I love the fact when you look at the matinees that you have, it's such a range of different films and genres because so often people think that women direct, you know, (laughs) small dramas about women, which is true. They do that well, but they also can do action and horror and comedy and, you know, mainstream movies and smaller movies. It's just like other humans. Well, yeah, and that leads leads straight into a couple that uh, defy uh, that expectation too with the uh, sleepover double feature. Yes, which I haven't seen, so I really want to see this. Oh, uh, yeah, especially I can't really speak as much to Sorority House Massacre, but Slumber Party Massacre. You don't like it or what? Uh, It's just one I don't remember that well. I even, I I just, I threw on the trailer the other day, it's like I've seen it and it just, but it's so, I mean, I watched all these films, but Slumber Party Massacre is like deep in my heart, one of my favorite of these kind of films and one of the cool things about Corman, I always think is, you know that uh, he was definitely trying to uh, let you know a certain woman who had worked for him direct some of these movies. Especially this series is all directed by women. Part one, two, and three, which I think is really neat. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know because a good friend of mine, uh, Rebecca McKendry, who's from Shockwaves, we we uh, I mean she pulled us in. I don't want to say like we're we're the geniuses behind her scholarship. She really wanted us to help support it. And the Etheria Film Festival created a scholarship. I think it was last year's uh, for Stephanie Rothman, the great uh, filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and they created the scholarship, and uh, the it was a USC grad uh, who um, won it last year, and she's just finished her film, and everyone except me has seen it from our show and said it's brilliant. I gotta, I, I've got to see it. So it's really great, and she seemed like such a great, uh, you know, young talent. So it's so cool what they're trying to do to support. And so I know she reached out, and uh, and you guys are just so super cool for uh, helping have a screening that's to support something like this. So. Right, and uh, kudos to Rebecca for giving back. I mean, she certainly doesn't have to give her time yeah. or put effort into fundraising because let's face it, fundraising is a bitch. Yeah. And, you know, asking people for money is is not fun. So I, I really respect Rebecca for, for going out there and, and making this happen. And, and obviously, she's, I've seen a little bit of that short film, and I think she's made a difference in one filmmaker's yeah. life, which is, is awesome. I hope that's a huge stepping stone for this young filmmaker. Yeah. So, so I mean, as, and I don't mean, but yes, the profits of this screening are going to the scholarship, so that's huge. Um, and they're still, even though that sold out straight away, regardless of this, there's still going to be what up to like a hundred in line. There'll probably be maybe fifty tickets available at the okay. door. Yeah. But we always try to squeeze as many people in as possible. Yeah. 
Um, but we're also going to have a few guests that night, too. So I'm we'll very excited. Guests. And then if, if, if you don't get to see the first show, there's always a good chance you can come and see the second show. So And I bet a lot, a lot fewer people have probably seen the second, so that might be a good chance to see that on the big screen. Um, but Amy Holden-Jones is com- it, yeah, confirmed. So Slumber Party Massacre's Amy Holden-Jones. She directed it. Um, she She's not the credited screenwriter, but I think she is the screenwriter for that mm-hmm. one. Her brother did the music. I don't think he's coming. One of my uh, favorite Casio tone scores ever. It's so bizarre. It's so cool. Um, but yeah, it's what I think of as the pinnacle of the, the 80s slashers. The party begins at 8 o'clock. It's a slumber party for old time's sake. Love it too. Do you think I'm getting better? <laughs> but be on the lookout. For an uninvited guest. Please, please. When the pizza arrives, things really start jumping. It's sort of like Ravenous, it balances very carefully on, on a, a tone. So it's a straight ahead, 80 slasher, everything you might imagine. It's, you know, topless women and like people getting knifed, but it's also a very slight commentary on all that and it's just... never grisly in that way it's got grisly scenes but it's you always feel like you're from their perspective it, i think you'd really like i feel like mm. it's the clueless of slasher <laughs> movies in a lot of ways because it's smart there's a bunch of girls you know sitting around for their pizza and the pizza guy comes and you know it's there's it's just uh, it's having fun with the tropes not just exploiting them it yeah, feels it's not, like, it's like you, know? you know it's not self-referential like scream no, but the filmmakers enough. are clearly aware of the genre yeah. and they're taking the knife out and poking holes yeah. everywhere it goes. And it's really funny. Yeah, it's not there to scare you. It's 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 much more of a fun uh, slasher film. I, I, I genuinely think you yeah, can have fun I with it. Yeah, I think it sounds right up my yeah. alley. Uh, let's, I, I, I just couldn't remember because I guess I guess uh, there, what, what, did Wernowski do part two of Sorority House Massacre? He did two, and he also yeah. did the pseudo part three, Hard to Die. Yeah, so I wasn't sure. I've seen that for sure, so I'm not sure. What do you know about Sorority House Massacre? I'm a big fan of it. Okay. Sorority. House Massacre. After a weekend with us, you're going to want to join this sorority. Yeah, it's uh, directed by a woman named Carol Frank, and it starts off... Her only film, I think. Yeah, she did other stuff Mm. uh, behind the scenes, maybe that weren't credited, but she directed this one. And it's a girl may have a psychic connection with a killer who's escaped from the asylum and he's going to track her down at her new sorority or whatnot. You could call it Halloween, the college years, maybe. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a Halloween knockoff, but I think it's, it's surreal in a way that Halloween is not. And there's something really interesting about that surreal dreamlike nature of the movie. I really like it. Yeah. I'm a big fan as well. And it has some of the best fashion and hair of any of them. <laughs> but like all of the the Corman movies from this era, these are super fast. They're all four reels under eighty minutes. They're they're they start and they're done. Hmm. But I also want to point out, give a shout out to Rodman Flender, who I know uh, you've, you 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 know with you know. But uh, he did director he of was, Idle Hands. <laughs> he movie. was uh, working uh, the advertising department for Corman, and he I was talking to him last night. He did all of the sorority house massacre uh, artwork and ad campaign. Oh. So he designed the really goofy poster where it's somebody with a knife, like peeping in on some woman, like, you know, through blinds and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And That's I guess so funny. that ad campaign 
made such an an impression with with Roger that any time one of their later movies wouldn't perform, he'd just say Rodman, 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 Sorority House Massacre it, and so he would just so it'd be uh, you know an Eric Estrada movie where there's be an assassin like peeping through the blinds at like some like, like half naked woman or oh things God. like that. That's, that's how these tropes come. Uh, and hilarious. speaking of people who don't age, Rodman, <laughs> the fact that he was around back then, it's, it's, it's I can't even believe it. he looks so young. Uh, it's kind of wild. Um, but then we go to a, another Wednesday afternoon classic. Uh, is this uh, one you're as familiar with? Three yeah, Faces yeah. of Bees? Yeah, Three Faces of I hadn't Eve. seen it till like literally this week. So Yeah, what did you think? I thought it was – well, it's kind of like Spellbound where had we watched it at the time, it would have felt cutting edge. Mm-hmm. But because it's you know kind of old psychology. But Joanne Woodward's uh, performance is incredible. Yes. I love Lee J. Cobb, so I'm always in. It, and <laughs> yeah. it's good to see him play like a good guy. He's always a gangster or something. Yeah. So I really liked it, and I like the way it's shot. It's shot by uh, Stanley Cortez, who's like – my number one DP, you know, Night of the Hunter, yeah. Naked Kiss. It has yeah, a little bit of Shock Carter. It almost looks like Shock Carter in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would make sense. Both like, but yeah, it's it's much more like the character dynamics, not the psychology that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's it's a woman who is suffering from multiple personality disorder and she goes to a psychiatrist. She has many different personalities. And so for that reason, you know, the Joanne Woodward does such an incredible job at playing like one extreme to another. Yeah. A very timid woman, a very sexy like Georgian woman. housewife who's yes, very, very quiet, quiet and held in place by her husband. It's definitely exactly. an interesting study of like misogyny through the husband's relations to the different personalities. Because mm-hmm. I think at one point she has this one younger, sexier yeah, persona and he really wants it. to sleep yeah. with her. And when it's rejected, it gets really bad. And you're like, oh, this is really fucked up. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know, it's actually quite dark. Yeah. So I think it's really yeah. interesting for that that reason. Like you said, the some of the psychology is a bit out of date. Yeah. But... Uh, as a character study, it's fascinating, and it won Joanne Woodward an Oscar, uh, and rightly so. I mean, I think she's just so wonderful in this movie. Yeah, and the, uh, the director, Nanali Johnson, didn't direct a lot of things, but Nanali was a major Johnson, writer. Yeah. Uh, How to Marry a Millionaire, Dirty Dozen. Yes. Uh, what was the one that – oh, Grapes of Wrath. So it's like – you think about that versatility. Those yeah. movies have nothing in common. I'm always kind of blown away. But I think this this is a perfect matinee or a TC, it's a TCM movie mm-hmm. or a matinee. I, I thought it was really interesting. And one that I don't really recall seeing screened very often, mm. like on a big screen. Yeah, uh, It's one that plays on places like TCM, but I've never seen it on the big screen before. So that that's going to be a really good one to see. Yeah. Cool. Can I just add something real mm. quick about talking about the matinees? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was raining today, so a lot of people took Lyft or Ubers to the New Beverly. And especially on Monday, we have a little bit of a parking problem with street sweeping. So just want to give everybody a heads up. Like, Monday and Wednesdays are the perfect day to ride share to the New Beverly. Oh, so just to, there's yeah. your there's good. your pro trip. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's good to hear. That's very good to know. Um, so I guess we're moving into a Western double feature. Well, this is one for you, right? You yeah, I mean... Uh, this is on the 20th and 21st. We've got Ford Apache, uh, mm-hmm. John Ford. Uh, Shirley Temple film. Yeah, <laughs> an older Shirley Temple. Uh, followed by Robert Aldrich's film, Olzana's Raid, with Burt Lancaster. First Geronimo, then Cochise, and now the bloodiest Apache of them all, Olzana. Olzana, the army sent a patrol commanded by a fledgling lieutenant and his advisor, a battle-scarred scout. The scout, Burt Lancaster, 
the lieutenant, Bruce Davison, the sergeant, Richard Jaco. Leave that body where it is. It needs burying. I want the Apache scout to do that. Damn it, lieutenant. You're not making any sense. Now look, Mr. McIntosh, that used to be a white man. Like yourself, a white man. Cut her loose. She's not dead. Why do you suppose they spared Mrs. Reardon? Maybe they thought she was dead. Susanna, leave woman for you to find. Dad. Dad. If they come back, promise me. You won't let them take me. Promise me. Scene, and I know you're a big fan of it. I am. Um, although I was, I was able to find my my DVD the other night. Okay. And I started watching it, and I'm like, oh, oh, I think this there's there might be some some problematic things about it uh. that I forgot about. Um, but anyway, Fort Apache, I don't remember as well. Has anybody here seen that one? I haven't seen it. But when Quentin was giving me his programming, he did um, mention that um, Olzana's raid is the answer to Fort Apache. Oh, and I, I think it has to do with some racial overtones. Yeah, well, not undertones, but overtones. So. Oh, that's cool. Or, you know, mm-hmm. so if you see that double feature, maybe look oh, cool. with it. You know, they speak view to each with other. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, um, well, that's interesting because. Uh, Olzana's definitely has a lot to do with, you know, relations with uh, certain hostile Native American tribes uh, surrounding this old outpost. And, um, yeah, it definitely was more 70s. You know, it came out in, I think, 72. So it, it, I can see how he would say, yes, it's an answer to the sort of John Ford take on, you know, um, Native Americans in cinema at that time. Um, that's intriguing. That's really neat. Yeah, no, Azana's Raid is, is really solid, though, and it has a really good ending, you know? Okay. I'm a big fan of a, of a good ending, and, and I'm a big fan of Burt Lancaster yeah. in general. Yeah. And Bruce Davison. And Bruce Davison is so great. coming I off think, short eyes, you just go straight to this one. I feel like... Azana's uh, <laughs> and short eyes. I feel like Quentin is a big Bruce Davison fan, because I feel like I read something, maybe it was about Mother Jugs and Speed or some other movie where huh. he pointed out a specific turn from Bruce Davison, who I think is great. I love him. And when we screened Olzana's Raid two years ago, Bruce Davidson actually came out and did a Q&A. Oh, cool. mm. And it's a Robert Altrick film, and he's an excellent action director, I think. Yeah, know? and just one that I, I feel like less people have seen. And, and yeah. it's as you were finding out, it's not really available to stream. Yeah, I couldn't find that. I was trying to see this before the show, and it wasn't anywhere on yeah, any platform. There's a DVD, I think, is out of print, but it's so, yeah, it's, it's become pretty rare, this one. So This is why the tag is where film lives, because you can still see this movie at this theater, not yes. on streaming. So. Yes. But if you really want to play detective and see movies, Eddie Brant's in North Hollywood, yes. they will do mail order. So oh, cool. always email them, give them a call. They'll wow. somehow find a DVD for you <laughs> and hey, they'll mail it <laughs> to you and great. everything. Oh, so. I did not know they did mail order. That's exciting, actually. I like this. And they have so much VHS still, which is incredible. We have to ask them about Skate Town USA. Um, <laughs> so we go from that double to what do we got? If oh. we have the money, Python. Python. Yes. Yeah. Another another reason to laugh. These two are brilliant. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, followed by Monty Python's Meaning of Life. <laughs> This was one, you know, my, my dad was really into Monty Python movies, so yeah. it just takes me back to that time being a child and it would just be on constantly. And there's so many great moments in both of these films that are still really funny and also, if you haven't seen them, probably moments that you'll recognise just from pop culture because it's so yeah. part of our culture now. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, there's 
countless. I, I love The Black Knight. I love <laughs> Bringing Out Your Dead. Bring out your dead as one. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go with the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. You think I'll go for a walk? You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look. Isn't there something you can do? I feel happy. I feel happy. Ah, oh, thanks very much. Oh, at all. See you on Thursday. Right. Yeah. That's a great bit. Is, is Holy Grail the one where he ends up losing you know, the arm, the leg, and yeah, it's just a fle- it's probably my favorite gag in any movie. Yeah. No, it's just a flesh wound. It's another yeah. one. That I, I I teased my daughter and showed it to her by saying there's a, there's a killer bunny rabbit in this movie. And she the whole time she's like, where is it? Is it coming now? And I'm like, oh no, it's a little bit longer. That's and uh, she got a big kick out of it. But That's so cute. It's yeah. still so funny. Yeah, yeah, really, really funny. And Meaning of Life has a. I was just actually this came up at work the other day. We were talking about we were at lunch and talking about the the scene where the guy explodes. Um, and nice, we were explaining we have a younger coordinator. She's about twenty. And uh, so my one of my uh, department heads was telling her about that particular scene and and how it was. I don't know that it was appropriate to tell at lunch, but it was still it's still funny. <laughs> yeah, no, it has moments of genius in all of these films. Um, so that's going to be a blast. And if you haven't seen, I mean, I imagine that's a lot of comedy. Those two back to back. Oh my god, yeah. you're just gonna it'll be brilliant. So be great. Uh, and then we go into Kill Bill Volume Two that night at midnight, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still on track here. Okay, um, and then uh, is this was National Velvet a big one for you? <gasps> the big one. Okay. okay, okay. Elizabeth Taylor. The big one. MGM's Children's Matinee presents National Velvet, about a race called the Grand National, and a girl named Velvet, whose biggest dream was to win it. Tell us more about your sister Velvet. Sometimes she doesn't wash her neck. Horses. What does it feel like to be in love with a horse? I want to be a famous rider. I should like to hunt. Ride to hounds. I should like to race. Velvet's horse was called the Pie. The Pie was wild and unpredictable, but he was lightning fast. Could the Pie win the Grand National? Velvet Brown, who do you think you are? I'm the owner of the Pie. And does that give you leave to go poking your head out amongst the stars? Believing you could take the richest, grandest prize a horse ever won? A grand nation. Large dream for a little girl. Sometimes it frightens me. I see things. I see things as big as life and think they're real. Elizabeth Taylor, Mickey like, Rainey. She was twelve. Okay. Wow. So. And um, it was such a success that it really kicked off a whole wave of like young girl with horse yeah. movies. Yeah. And she's a young girl. She wants to ride in the Grand National race it's a steeplechase race it's incredibly dangerous women aren't allowed in it and so she secretly trains with mickey rooney who's the trainer and then she pretends to be the jockey a male jockey by tucking her hair under Uh, the you know suddenly no one knows she's a girl (laughs) uh but this is a film i watched so many times when i was young because i found it really inspiring firstly it was a young girl with horse and i felt like i could relate to that i also have a horse tattoo (laughs) tattoos are my favorite things um and then secondly because of the the female angle 
angle, you know, it was great to see this young girl at the centre of a movie and it also spoke so much to, you know, you can't do that because you're a girl and, of course, triumphs at the end. Uh, there's some sad moments as well. I feel like a lot of these horse movies <laughs> put you through the ringer, but mm. you have the great race moment at the end and, and it's wonderful to see these two together, Elizabeth Taylor and Mickey Rooney, back, you know, when they were really, really young. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember this playing on TV a lot and being quite a beautiful film when I was when I was young. Yeah, and then there's International Velvet, which goes yeah. with it. But that was years later. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I've forgotten Elizabeth Taylor started as a, that young, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go, <laughs> strange segue to <laughs> everything, Woody Allen's everything you ever want to know about sex. Um, yeah. Which also involves a great relationship with an animal. Um, but in this case, it's Gene Wilder in quite a beautiful and tender love story with the sheep. Uh, yes. That is definitely the highlight of that movie, in my opinion. But Gene Wilder in anything is a highlight to me. But I like the I like the uh, Burt Reynolds stuff. I okay. Like and the little funny. sperm that run. Yes, that's, that's stuff's funny. It, this, I mean, I haven't seen this for a very long time, but I always thought it was uh, hilarious. And it feels more like a skit. It feels more in line with the Monty Python style, I think. A lot more skittish Yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun. All right, so then we're on to Sunday. Pa- yeah, pa- is this the uh, Paul Winkus? Um, am I saying his name right? Yeah. For posterity. <laughs> uh, so I, I just watched this for the first time, the Mephisto Waltz. The Mephisto Waltz, a story of inner fear and ritual terror and the ultimate transplant, the human soul. Bye, Miles. Mommy? He said he had to kill her. Some kind of bargain. Oh. Duncan Eli. And now Duncan's dead. But you play like him. How did his brain get into your fingers? Paula, you're living in a nightmare. People who pray to the devil. Paula. Is it possible? Who are these people of the occult? What is their incredible power over others? How long does it take them to drive a woman out of her mind? The terrifying answers come each time you hear the Mephisto Waltz, the sound of terror. You killed Bill. You killed Abby. Now you want to kill me. And, um... This is a little bit of a gem uh, film that I wasn't expecting. Has, have you seen this one? No. I hadn't heard of this. I, I think it. Becca is actually a fan of this one. And she I remember her talking about it years ago to me when Get Out came out. She went, oh, Get Out. They stole this from Memphis to Waltz. And I remember going, pfft. Uh, and it's interesting to watch it. That it's nothing, you know, forget in none of the cleverness of, uh, you know, the way race is being explored and, uh, you know, this kind of absurdist idea of the surgery. Spoilers for Get Out if no one's seen it yet. Uh, but what Mephisto Waltz is, is Alan Alda is with, um, who's his, who plays his wife, uh, Jacqueline Bissett. Uh, and they just have this really great relationship and it's really kind of tender. And he gets, he's kind of this failed um, pianist who was kind of in training to become a concert pianist, but just didn't have the, didn't ha- couldn't cut it. And he uh, gets a gig to interview one of the great pianists, this older guy. Um, and you're kind of curious why he's interested in the guy. And the guy keeps looking at Alan Alda's hands and says, oh, you have wonderful hands. You know, could you play the piano? He goes, oh, yeah, you know, as a failed pianist. He goes, oh, really? Play me something. And they start becoming like fast friends. And this guy's a very manipulative, uh, you know, very wealthy guy. And he is his, it's his daughter who's this young, beautiful woman, but there's a, there's a very strange relationship going on that feels somewhat incestual. 
uh, basically, and I don't think this part's a spoiler because it's so key to getting the film started. It's basically about um, this person. They make these weird life masks, a death mask, and they're all on this wall behind them. Very creepy image. And the guy, uh, the older uh, pianist, you realize very quickly that the idea is to uh, they have some process kind of through witchery uh, to uh, eliminate the Alan Alda in you and just take over your body <laughs> so the, the concert pianist can keep living century after century. Mm. His his genius, so he has to make sure you have the right hands. And there's a shot that's often used in the stills, but it's such a good moment in the movie where it's just happened. This all happens in the first like 30 minutes. And it's just from the cameras looking up and it's Alan Alda holding out his hands, looking down at his hands, but it's not Alan Alda anymore. Mm. And so it's just quite a, it's quite a great, so it is playing with the same central conceit of Get Out, which is that you can take over somebody else's body and live inside John that? Yeah. yeah, but but in that and get out, you're, they're both in there, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We're, and same with John Malkovich. Whereas in this, there's no more Alan Alda. Right. But the creepy part and then the real drama of the story is he then goes home to his wife Jacqueline Bisset, but it's not him anymore. And so their relationship keeps going. And there's some really kind of Rosemary's Baby vibes with a bit of the Get Out. And it's not as good, quite as good as either of those, but it's it is really good and it's really creepy. And it's not one that was on my radar. And I, I think I think people will find. And there's some nice surprises in where it goes. And the witch stuff is, I don't know if they're witches or so much as like kind of a black, you know, kind of magic cult group. But um, so it's, how, it's fun. How does this tie into special delivery with Buzz Fancy? I, I don't think Other it does. Than the but, director. And it has nothing to do with Gidget. So this director is obviously very versatile because this was very, it has ba- uh, Barbara Perkins uh, from Valley of the Dolls. And she's she's the younger one. So when they're in, when I say they're kind of incestual, it's probably like an ex of his who's just been transferring into younger bodies too. But it's just so, yeah, it's a bit of a mindfuck. Well. But uh, Jacqueline Bissett's great in it too, and Alan Alda. So yeah, this was a really. This, I, I, anytime I get to discover a, a horror film I hadn't seen uh, at this point after years of doing that show, Shockwaves, <laughs> it's, it's a great feeling. So that was super cool. Um, special delivery, I knew nothing about uh, except who's in it: Bo Svensson and Sybil Shepherd. So yeah. that, uh, that Phil, sounds pretty you, good. Is this a, one that you know at all? Yeah, it's like a heist crime comedy romance. It's another <laughs> throw all the genres out and see what sticks. It's Bo Svensson is a Vietnam vet. He and his buddies need to raise some quick cash. They rob a bank in downtown L.A., but the cops come a little too fast. They kill some of the crew. They apprehend some others. Bo Svensson gets away, and he has the loot, but to evade capture, he drops the money in a mailbox, (laughs) and then he has to wait until the midnight mailman comes to to take it out because there's no other access. So he's basically waiting until he has access to the money again. But Sybil Shepard plays the neighbor across the way who sees it goes down. She wants a cut. And then there's some other people who may know more than they're letting on. And, of course, Bo Svensson in his easygoing charm uh, starts to woo Sybil Shepard. Cool. And it had a ter- the tag on the commercial for it was pretty bad, where it's just like, uh, it's that girl from Taxi Driver and that guy from Walking Tall 2. And I'm like, who is that going to sell on a movie? <laughs> that guy from Walking Tall 2. It's just like such a weird. Walking Tall 2. It's not even, yeah, it's not even Joe Don. Yeah. We'll get to him later. I guess they could have said, it's that guy from Butcher Baker Nightmare. <laughs> anyway, it looked fun, though, I got to say. Okay, so... So we're getting down into it. So yeah. I think we have the final uh, Monday matinee yeah. of the month. Hey, 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 hello. <laughs> yeah. Howdy, go. I don't know the first thing about you. Your life, your friends. They're normal people, just like your friends. Hey, hey, hello. Hey, hello. Natasha! 
I'm going to be 24 soon. I haven't done anything. Yo, what happened here? They're organized by the Dewey Decimal System. Yo, there are over a thousand albums here. They were a mess. What are you, my mother? Don't mix those up. Yes, Party Girl with Parker Posey. What are your thoughts? Oh, uh, Parker Posey is just so much fun to watch. And this, I feel like, is the ultimate Parker Posey role because she gets to be her completely quirky, fun self uh, with great fashion choices. She uh, learns to be a librarian and then becomes obsessed with the Dewey Decibel system. (laughs) I mean, it's just a really great little film that you don't see very often. So I feel like this is a really rare uh, screening of this movie because it's one that doesn't come up very often at all. Yeah, I remember it being a bigger deal when it was on VHS in the 90s, sort of a cult thing. And now, like, I don't think it's ever gotten a Blu-ray release. No, there was like a really shoddy DVD release. And it's been out of circulation for quite a number of years. It was kind of in a a rights quagmire uh, where the company that owned it went out of business. There was a whole bankruptcy sort of thing. But it's finally been rescued by FilmRise. Oh, And I think ours is probably going to be the first screening since they got the rights. Um, We have a a very, very, very rare film print. I'm excited to share it with an audience. But I'll tell everybody here first, uh, Daisy Von Schurler-Meyer, the director, she's going to come to the screening. It's going to be our first Q&A at one of these matinees. So I think it's going to be pretty cool. She's very excited about it. Um, One cool thing she went on to direct that I think a lot of people are still into right now is Hold and Catch Fire. She did quite a few episodes of that, which is interesting. It makes total sense to that aesthetic, I think, Mm -hmm. which is cool. So, yeah. Less movies, though, I think. A lot of TV. A lot of TV. She did direct a few movies. She directed Woo. Mm. And she directed The Guru. Oh, okay. Um, that's and I think after that, she really went the the TV route, which I think you see with a, a lot of filmmakers from the 90s that came out of the indie world. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the 90s was such a great time for female filmmakers, queer filmmakers. You know, finally, you got the chance to direct films at people people of color as well who don't get the opportunity mm-hmm. to direct films without the technology now being available. You can make independent films very cheaply. And it was funny when I did my book, Female Gaze, most of the films come from the 90s up because <laughs> it was a big lull, big gaps for, for women in film. And, and I think the first female filmmaker of colour I talk about is in the 90s as well because there just wasn't that access before. So Which was that, Eve's Bio? Or no, that was um, Julie Dash. Daughters of the Dust, yeah. That's what I thought. Such a great film. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No. This one. I'm, I didn't know about the rights thing. I was wondering kind of like why this movie had dipped away a little bit, but because it was a. I remember it got rented like crazy at my video store in the mm-hmm. '90s. People loved the movie. Loved it. Yeah, and I know that it's now streaming on Amazon. It just like went up. Oh yeah, it's Amazon. Like yeah. The most ancient oh. sub VHS <laughs> uh, transfer. It's never been available widescreen on any home video format. Ugh. So our screening should look better than. <laughs> anything else you've seen Fantastic. oh I've got it I, I, I am right at least by this description this martial arts movie tries to explain the strange death of the international movie star and kung fu master Bruce Lee most of the story centers on a former disciple of Lee who launches a private investigation and ends up avenging the brutal death of his girlfriend I knew there was something to do with the Bruce Lee now whether this write up's at all correct <laughs> so that's called Exit the Dragger and Enter the Tiger and it's with the tattoo connection Lee Sonam Bruce Lee's untimely death shocked the entire world In Exit the Dragon, Enter the Tiger, Lee names his successor, introducing a new star, Bruce Lai. I'll have to find out if there was some foul play, and if there was, I'll avenge! I'll avenge! You people killed Bruce Lee? 
I don't know, but I didn't. If you've lied to me, I'll come back and kill you. Do we know anything that would help here? Or? Um, well, I can give you um, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice. Um Quentin said he has a piece on Lee Sao Nam oh. um, that he's going to get ready for our blog. Oh. So everybody can oh, cool. www.thenewbev.com. He also is writing a couple other pieces. I, I always enjoy it yeah. when he writes, and I've always enjoyed it when he introduces a film. It's just like a little slice of film history. Yeah. Um, I'm always I'm actually mesmerized when he does introductions. So, um, but yeah, so so look for that. Um, I don't know much about these films. I feel like I've seen the tattoo connection, but it's not quite coming back for me. We're using a film print from Brian Quinn, which is nice. I always like it when we can use um, Quentin's prints, Phil's prints, yeah. Brian's Quinn's. That's always that's always great. Um, and I felt, oh yes, and Quentin really wanted to make it a triple feature. Mm. We wanted to do Challenge of Death, but as often happens, sometimes not often and sometimes, but. Uh, the the film print was just no good. It was unrunnable. So we made it, pared it down to a double feature. Hmm. Hmm. I, I I don't know anything about these movies except both have really fun trailers. I'll tell you that. I like both. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Jim Kelly's in the the Tattoo Connection. Oh, cool. Yeah, that definitely caught my attention. The Black Superman of the Martial Arts, star of the famous Enter the Dragon. Mr. Lucas, I've been known to be called the Black Six Million Dollar Man. It's Jim Kelly, and he's taking on a million-dollar job. Holding this briefcase is like carrying a time bomb. No one knows you're carrying diamonds. For sure. I'm a big Black Belt Jones fan. Well, we'll learn more soon from the blog, I hope. Um, and then this leads into uh, what I bet could be picks of the month material yeah, yeah, and, one of, and one of the great revenge doubles. Or? Just Are you talking about the, the, oh. the, the final yeah. Oh, I just uh, didn't look at the date. Okay, All right. Yes. And this we have to throw to you. Yes. Even though I know it's also one of Brian's favorite movies, but because you've yeah. been writing about it. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to talk about Warner Brothers' new motion picture, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? It's hard to tell about it. Easy to talk about. All you have to say is Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton. <laughs> Who's afraid of Virginia <laughs> <laughs> He's the associate professor of history. She's his wife. The essence of Ivy League charm to students and friends who don't know them well. George Siegel, Sandy Dennis, are the newcomers led by their charming host and hostess to the hell that hides behind those ivy-clad university walls. Yes. I know, and I think uh, this may be my pick of the month. Yeah. It's, it's such a wonderful film um so talky and i love movies that are self-contained set just during one night and so much drama happens mm. and you've got elizabeth taylor and richard burton and when you have them together on screen you feel the history behind them you feel the love you feel the hate you feel the tumultuous relationship this couple has over this one very boozy night i don't know how they're still standing after all the <laughs> drinks that they consume where they invite a young couple over uh, sandy dennis and george siegel and they start to um, just put on this whole display for them. And I feel so sorry for this couple that has to go through this whole big night. And there's a question about, you know, is there a kid? Is there not a kid? But just 
it just shows what a powerhouse I think Elizabeth Taylor really was when she could let loose and be unhinged on screen. It's she like was nothing else. Thirty-three. She looked a lot 52. older. Yeah, she wow. managed That's to. Cra- like I did not know that. I always thought she was fifty-two. Yes. She she managed to age herself up to yeah. be and inhabit that role with such power. And Mike Nichols, I mean, yeah. directed by, so great. Yeah, yeah. so good. Edward yeah. Albee played. Yeah, I was going to say the play writer, was, yeah. I think, met with some shocking responses when it was put on in the mid to late 60s or whatever. And there was talk that there was no way to really, you. I think you said this, yeah. basically, that there was no way to adapt it, mm-hmm. right, because of the language and everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, they really pulled it off. And, and I think he fought to keep it, you said, like, straight to the letter as close to the play as possible yeah for to keep all the dialogue as is you know it was such a a difficult time to deal with the senses and people were shocked the audience who saw the play were really shocked by it and it's pretty dark film Mm. when you look at it and there's so much trauma in this movie yeah, and I think one of the reasons it translates so well is the it, it hired one of the most exper- experimental cameramen, and who was always looking for ways to change things up and move the camera. Has- Haskell Wexler gets the camera mm-hmm. so close to them, and that says a lot about Elizabeth Taylor too. To allow the camera lens to get that close at a point in yeah. her career, and he is just I think he's one of the most interesting cameramen to ever live because every time he's trying to push the envelope, whether he's wearing roller skates like we talked about last month, and what was that first Burt Reynolds role? Um, the oh, Paul Angel Wimpus. Baby? Angel Baby, yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. He, I think he was doing, the, the word was that uh, Haskell was on roller skates for parts then. So, so he's always just pushing the envelope to yeah. the parts of Days of Heaven that he shot. And yeah, fascinating. And I love the me. way that it moves through the space, like through yeah. the house and then out the front of the house. And you can tell, obviously, it's born from a play because it does have that uh, claustrophobic feeling plus the, the limited characters and so much dialogue. Uh, but it feels much more expansive because of the camera and yeah, the way cinematic. it goes around, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, performances are so good. Yeah. But I was blown away to learn she was that young. I just Because yeah. I guess she just had to gain a lot of weight to try to pull it off, which is so, yeah, it's really impressive. So I just love that it's Mike Nichols's, um film right before The Graduate. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. The mm-hmm. Very different films, but, but you could see maybe some, you know, similarities in certain thematics. And I don't know. Mm. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Plastics. one word Um, so the revenge double which is this is so much fun Uh, I hadn't seen the second one until now so I I wish I'd kind of waited to see it on screen but the curse of doing the show sometimes I want to watch these things in advance Uh, but Point Blank uh, by John Borman is just one of the great movies Uh, Lee Marvin Angie Dickinson uh, you know is just a guy uh, you know left left for dead who wants his money and that's the whole it's a very thin narrative and he's coming for you and the one scene I always show I start every film class I've ever taught for editing and sound I just start with him walking down the the long corridor and you hear the footsteps going and then it's him in a car but the footsteps keep going then it's him him waiting footsteps it's her doing her hair footsteps still coming it's like the sound is is coming for you it doesn't matter what you're watching the sound the footsteps are coming and they won't stop till they get her or get the guy she might be in bed with who's not there and so it's such a great way to open a movie doesn't Hal Ashby kind of steal that for the end of Harold and Maude like isn't there like isn't Bud Court walking in down the hospital could, corridor yeah it could have yeah I don't know. Maybe he didn't steal it, but it seems. I didn't. Similar. I didn't notice as much in that because in this way, it's, it's not just quite as pronounced. It's but. such a masculine, like these just masculine edits and these like. There's something so macho about some of how he puts this movie together, um, and you know, it's it's uh, you know, I think it's a great noir because there's. I think it's hard to pull off a great noir in color sometimes, and this is a great version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a really interesting fragmented narrative yeah. too, which really helps it. I think makes it 
truly unique. I, I think one of my favorite DVD extras ever is the commentary track with Steven Soderbergh talking to John Borman about the movie. Um, really cool stuff because he's obviously just such a big fan of it and Borman that you know it's just like I don't know I, I love it it's it's one of my favorite commentaries mm-hmm. and um, John Vernon's in it and John Vernon yeah always John get a Vernon's shout out great. to John Vernon um, but yeah so this is followed up by one of my sort of under the radar favorites uh, by our man John Flynn uh, the outfit um, and this one stars Robert Duvall and Joe Don. And Definitely Karen one Black, of the most important. and Timothy Carey's in there, and Ryan, Robert There's, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's it's written by Donald Westlake, mm-hmm. uh, stepfather, and did a lot of film noir and a lot of crime films. Yeah, so both films are yeah. adaptations of his Richard Stark novels. That's so. right. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That's the, one of the connectors there. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, it's a really neat. Uh, I'm I'm sure that I, I heard of this. I, I think also because of a Quentin screening back at in Austin at one of the QT fests. I think he included it back then. So I'm sure he's been a fan for some time. But it's great. It's just a great movie. Um, Robert Duvall plays uh, a bank robber who gets out of jail and immediately goes to see his brother. But his brother's been killed by the outfit, this crime organization. And then he starts messing with them. He basically, uh, you know, tells them, like, you guys owe me 250 grand and you're going to give it to me uh, and I'm going to continue to rob you until you do. And whatever I take doesn't go against the 250. You still owe me that. So he he and he he, uh, joins forces with his pal, Jonan Baker. Well, what are you looking at? It's your ugly face, you shit kicker. Well, hey, Cody. Take a load off, Cody, and have a beer. You see anybody we know? I'm in the woods. Well, this is Beth. She's with me this time around. Cody? How you been, huh? The same. How'd they make you? The bar. Routine vice squad roused. I was healed. Cost me uh, two and a quarter inside. Hmm. Oh, that's hard time. <laughs> well, that's weird, a vice squad. <laughs> know about Eddie? Yeah. Look, a couple of boys, they braced me at my diner. What's a ticket here? Midwest National is an outfit front. I want to do some work for Eddie. They're not used to getting hit, they'll be soft. It sure is soft. They'll kick your ass. What's your idea of a split? 50-50 everything. I pay the expenses. Uh, the expenses, they come out of the pot before we split, just like always. I got a personal stake. No need for you to bankroll it. That's where I want it. Suit yourself. Don't need the girl. What? We don't need the girl. It's like I told you this time around. She's with me. Start worrying about the girl, you might forget about your work. It's up to you, Cody. If you're in, I'd like to have you. If you're out, I'll get somebody else. Either way, she stays. My world. Well, you always did need looking after Oh, he's so good. Like when they're faced with impossible odds, like you're, we're going to go. That's basically a suicide mission. You want to? You don't need to come. And Joe Don, eh, we'll see how it goes. That, I love that kind of. Joe Don has that effortless vibe that I just love about his characters. Well, in it's every film. it's the uh, I'll get my gear before I'll get yeah, my gear. Yeah, it is. It's before Rolling, Rolling Thunder. Thunder. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like a similar relationship yeah. between Tommy Lee Jones and uh, who's the star? Why can't I think of 
Help me, Phil. Uh, with the great smile. Rolling Thunders. Yeah, yeah Devane. Devane. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, it's very similar in that way. That he just Flynn does a great job with these sort of male criminal, you know, macho things. But Robert Ryan's really good as the yeah. kind of uh, the leader of the kind of this mafia kind of group. Um, it was a Wild Bunch that he was in just a couple years before. Or? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you know it's it's no it's a really this is a really good under the radar one. I had heard of it through you a couple for the last couple of years and been meaning to watch it, and I was really uh, glad. And this is the perfect way to see it as a double with these two films back to back. I'd say. Yeah, definitely one of the best of the month for me. Okay, we're in the home stretch. Right. <laughs> so what do we got here? Uh, I believe we are up to Fellini. Fellini. A Fellini double. Yes. Um, one that I'd say most people have seen and one that I just, just saw for this. Uh, La Strada from 1954 just uh, – could just be Giulietta Massini's face is <laughs> utterly extraordinary. Are you a Fellini fan or mm-hmm. classic? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Love Fellini's movies and I adore, you know, Eight and a Half, of course, but yeah. La Strada as well because it has such a great balance of emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the sadness. It's, it's funny as well. Anthony Quinn is wonderful. And I, I always love the way that Fellini uses metaphor. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that a lot here, La Strada, The Road, and it's such a great journey film. And then The Swindler, I think I saw, when I was younger, I just remember some guys dressing up as priests. Well, the opening uh, felt like, all I kept thinking, it didn't feel like Fellini, it felt like Jean-Pierre Melville and Bunuel. Like yeah, it, it's a it's, crime. Yeah, it's like they film. look like a, a, a Melville film, but they're dressed like priests out of a Bunuel thing, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of surreal the way they pull off this kind of initial calm. But then it's yeah, yeah. It, it feels actually the whole way through a bit more Bunuel than it does Fellini to me. Mm. But um, less classic. A year later, I think a year uh, after the Strata. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But it's, it was a good film, and Broderick Crawford from All the King's Men is the lead. That confused me for a while because they're all speaking Italian, obviously being dubbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you know, he was Willie Stark, you know, and so, uh, but yeah, it's it's a really simple tale about con men, and but it ends up becoming a moral kind of moral play once once because they're just they'd swindle anyone. They they're the types who can sell. They keep saying, you know, we sell ice to Eskimos type guys. They the uh, the initial scam is they go to old um, you know poor people's farmlands and they pre bury a skeleton and then say, well, the church. You know, has found all these thinks there's all these jewels and oh, riches, right, yeah. and we'll dig it up for you and take this body away, and you just pass a little money, but you can have all the jewels and all the money. And it's just it's just brutal because they're conning really poor people out of money, and then they're going and blowing it on women and booze. Uh, so it's kind of hard to watch for a while, but then it, the moral play comes into it, and you know, but it's, it it feels a little lesser, you know, of essential Fellini, but it's still a really nice. I like con men stories, so I think it's really mm-hmm. a good con story. Yeah. Um, yeah, good double to yeah. watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, anytime you could see uh, Fellini on the big screen, go for it. I'd say. Absolutely. So into one more Kitty Double or Kitty Matinee. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty Midnight. Kitty Midnight, which is a preview for our next episode. Yes, Kitty Midnights. Uh, Kitty Matinee. Uh, yes, The Black Stallion on March 30th and 31st. Yeah, another great childhood horse yeah. film for me. Yeah. One of the best um, looking ones, I think. Beautiful. Yeah, beautifully shot. Beautifully yeah. shot. Caleb Deschanel. Yep. 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 And produced by Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, it's... Yeah, so Trope's first film, maybe? Or it's definitely one early. of the... Yeah. Early. One the, yeah. yeah. Definitely and, most success, one of the most successful. And based on a great children's book as well. Um, another, you know, kid befriends a horse. And I love that uh, Mickey Rooney is in this too. I, I think it's a great performance by Mickey <laughs> yeah. Rooney. I, I always like, forget I about it. I watched it like three years ago. I'm like, 
oh my god, he's so good mm. in it. And yeah. I love that dynamic between him and the boy. I yeah, think Kelly Reno. that sort of brought yeah, it's a, it's a different side to Mickey Rooney because it seems much more natural uh, performance from him. Um, uh, yeah, beautifully shot. I mean, the the scenes of the horse on the beach, yeah. the Just boy the riding the totally horse. Iconic. I was going to say, the opening oh. is so incredible. And the score mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a really beautiful film. Yeah. Also written by Melissa Matheson from E.T. Yes, e. that's right. I forgot so about it's that. It's such a great yeah. pedigree behind yeah. it. Yeah, no, it is. And, and you are... You ride horses. I mean, he mm-hmm. did all his horse riding it, on the beach, on the racetrack. Yeah, I mean, with, that kid. Like, like no saddle, like yeah, bareback. Yeah, bareback. Yeah, and then just beyond the, 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 the dirt on a horse track is completely different than in the sand. I was just yeah. like, I, I was blown away it's when I really, found that out. It's really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, I really like this movie because it's one of those, um, and again, I think, you know, Carol Ballard and um, Caleb Deschanel just kind of created their own world, and you just really kind of go on the journey, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the young um, kid and, and the horse, and and I that's what I kind of like about going to the New Bev and just movies in general. It did they take you away and they and they they you go on a journey. So I'm really looking forward. I haven't seen this ever in a movie theater, so Maybe seeing this on the big screen and and going on this journey, um, I'm just really looking forward to it. Just get lost in the story and get engrossed and you can leave the horrible world behind. (laughs) Escape into this lovely story. Yeah, I think kids would would still, this would blow kids away because the visual storytelling is so strong. I think kids who had never seen this, I think this is a perfect one to play. Yeah, especially that opening, just on the boat and the Mm. horses getting off the boat. Uh, There's really nothing I've seen like that. And, And completely indebted into the Academy Film Archive for lending uh, a film print. I, I think there's might be the only one. Oh, wow. A lot of times we cannot find film prints. So when wow. somebody... So Trope doesn't have these? You th- that's interesting. Um, I don't huh. know. Yeah, wow. interesting. So, and, yeah. and last uh, month you had, um, the, one of my favorites of last month was discovering Caleb Deschanel's Zotrope film that he directed, The Escape oh, Arts, and I yeah. loved it. Like it's just, yeah. it's going to be one that kind of sticks. I hadn't seen it before, so that's a neat connector. Again, there. another Academy Film Archive. Great. Okay, so oh. courtesy yeah. of them. So that's so great. Um, then we uh, swing back to Kill Bill Volume One again uh, on the 29th, uh, and then on the 30th, uh, you know, just one of the most wild <laughs> spoofs ever: Amazon Woman on the Moon, directed by many people, but uh, a notable John Landis, Joe Dante, Carl Gottlieb, the writer of Jaws, uh, and a couple others. Shot by the DP Daniel Pearl, which I just who shot Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Have to always fit that in. But I mean, this has Russ Meyer as a video store clerk in one sequence, which is hilarious. Uh, there's a story. My, my favorite uh, gag is Roseanne Arquette. Because it reminds me of After Hours. Uh, there's a skit. I don't know who directed this one. I'd have to guess it was Dante. But uh, Steve Gutenberg is going on a, a blind date. And he goes over to pick up Roseanne Arquette. And she says, oh, great, great. Do you have two credit cards and an ID? And he's like, what for? And she goes, well, I've got this machine that can, like, you know, just I just need to test you before. So he has to scan these things for her. And then she gets a printout. And and, uh, and you're watching the skit going, oh, it's going to be a financial printout. He's like, this is weird. I just wanted to take you out. She's like, just wait. And then she starts reading about all the things he's done wrong in other relationships. And, <laughs> oh, and then you came and went straight to sleep. And, and he's like, I've never done that. She goes, eight times. And, he's like, ah. and, and the whole thing just gets worse and worse. And it's this long list. And it's just quite hilarious because she's it's right around the after hours period. Yeah. And she's it feels like the same character. I love it. That I think there's a, good, there's a lot of really good ones. There's some that are just ridiculous, like all, all these anthologies. I think this one has Sybil Danning and people like that and all sorts of random people in it. But I think it's a lot of fun. I think this would be one of my picks for midnight of this month. Oh, yeah. Because I think it'd be a lot of fun at midnight. Yeah, I love the, the Henry Silva bullshit or not. Is this the way it happened? Was 
Jack the Ripper in fact a 60-foot sea serpent from Scotland? Could I take this job for a quick buck? We may never know the answer to these questions. Next week. Extraterrestrials. Strange phenomena. Missing persons. Lost continents. Myths. And monsters. We examine these mysteries to determine are they bullshit or not? Oh, I think nice. Joe Dante directed that part. I'm pretty sure. Could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a great little like um, sort of making fun of, uh, <laughs> you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not TV yeah. stuff. Oh, Henry it's Solo. really funny. It's really funny stuff. Yeah, really fun movie. Um, if you haven't if you haven't caught this one before, um, and then it takes us into our final final double feature, which is mm. um, one that I think a lot of people are going to need to see on the big screen because, oh, yes. especially Footlight. But uh, yes. you want to take these two? Yeah, Busby Berkeley. He was such an incredible, uh, not even a choreographer, more like a a military <laughs> <laughs> director of people uh-huh. because he created these incredible jaw dropping dance sequences using hundreds of extras. There's, you know, all those famous sh- overhead shots where it almost looks like a kaleidoscope. Yeah. There's so many people. It's really inventive. Um, I love Dames, but I really love Footlight Parade, especially because you get to see James Cagney singing and dancing. I mean, dancing, tap dancing and tap dancing next to Ruby Keeler and Ruby Keeler and Dick Powell are in both of those films. They often featured in the Busby Berkeley movies. Uh, and Footlight Parade is the one that has the famous... Um, the, fa- uh, the fountain yeah, human of people. Fountain. Yeah, the beauty, beauty fountain. Which the Coen brothers are kind of taking off say. in the, their last film, I think. Yes. They do a sequence somewhere. And a big pool. Yeah. And um, I think they, they had advertised it as like 300 bathing beauties like yeah. on the big screen. So just all these women. And, and yeah, you could uh, argument to be had about using women as props. But it is visually spectacular. And yeah. it's going to be incredible to see on the big screen. Both have Joan Blondell, I believe. Yes. Um, and these are the kind of things, these are the kind of movies I struggle sometimes to watch at home. And if I get a chance to see it on the screen, I will almost always take it because, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's all about the spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zazu Pitts, I, because yeah. I'm a huge Greed fan, I was very excited to see her name was in Dames. So mm-hmm. very curious to see that. But yeah, this will be, a, that's a spectacular way to end a month, guys. Yeah. yeah. Really, really yeah, going out with the Yeah, it's going to be really fun to watch both of those. Yeah. Um, so, well, this, I uh, think, I know we just breezed through this calendar. <laughs> it just, it's like time flies, right? <laughs> Jules is sitting there going, I just came for the cartoon club. No, I'm ready to go for April. <laughs> okay, bring it. Right. Right. Give us a minute. Boom. Uh, but, but serious, th- so much thanks to you for coming and because I'm just so glad this was the, it seemed to me like one of the perfect calendars. Yeah, it really was. It was, great. It, it was wonderful. And I am so excited to actually go and see all these films now yeah. and make new discoveries as well. And so t- I just, and before we go, tell us a little bit about what you're now doing. Obviously, film strikes stop, but you're doing a lot more of the intros for TCM. So yeah. just maybe tell us a little bit about that for you. And her yeah, podcast. So. Yeah, and the new podcast. That's right. Well, yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I'm a host on Turner Classic Movies. You can see me on Sundays, Tuesday evenings, and now also hosting the TCM Imports, which is the double feature we do around a foreign film director on Sunday nights and Silent mm-hmm. Sunday night, which comes before that, because silent films and foreign films are my favorite, and yeah. I really miss not talking about foreign films without Filmstruck, so I asked if I could take over hosting that, and Ben Mangwitz was so nice that said that I could do that. So I'm really excited about that. And then my podcast, I really missed doing podcast after... Filmstruck ended, so I decided to do my own. 
And I, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm just going to start and figure it out as I go. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the equipment. I've done this before, so I'll just figure it out. Great so name for it too. Magnificent after Cirque, yeah. Obsession, which Beautiful. is one of my favorite Douglas Sirk movies. And I thought also speaks to something that we all feel yeah. when it comes to movies, that it is um, a, an obsession, but it is a magnificent one. What, you, you'd say we wouldn't be here at 10 p.m. <laughs> otherwise talking about an entire calendar? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. no, it's great. I love your new angle. And too. I it's... wanted to particularly talk to people that they call below the line, yeah. people that don't get much of an opportunity to talk about their work. Uh, so I just spoke to the Foley artist, Alison D. Moore, and that was fascinating because I don't know much about yeah. the art of Foley. So that was great. Um, I spoke to Joe Cornish, who's one of the filmmakers, and Karen Kusama, who's always wonderful. Yeah, but I'm really trying to get to talk to people from different jobs below the line. So I really I spoke to composer Nicholas Brattel, who was great. Oh, yeah. But I'd love to speak to you know costume designer and and I'd love to speak to people in exhibition as well and just find out more about it. It's just something I'm curious about. So it's a passion project. Do you do it every week? Or? Every week, okay. yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Do you try every to bank week. things on it or you actually record it as you go? I try to bank things and then every once in a while it's like, oh, God, I need someone for this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call in some favors, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, but it's been really great so far and, and I love doing it. Yeah. Well, it's a really awesome. good show. I'm and it's, it. Yeah, it's purely just me and two microphones doing it. It's great. Well, I hope you, you can come back and join us on one of our topic-based ones, you know, now that you're, mm-hmm. now that you're in with the calendar, because I'd love to do, like, a foreign film one. We haven't done yeah. – focused mm-hmm. on solo that. Yeah, it would be great. Um, we have done a silence episode, but not foreign yet. So We can always do yeah. a silent episode. Of course, yeah, so much. Yeah, but, uh, so much. Yeah, and thanks, and thanks, Jules, for coming down. And, yes, and, thank you, and Jules. Thanks for having me. Love talking movies. So yeah, no, well, this will be a regular thing. I hope you guys come down anytime, and, and we'll keep torturing Phil. We love yes. to bring <laughs> Phil in against his always will. Always a pleasure. Uh, it feels even better to me to do it. <laughs> I'm a sadist, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Thank you for listening, uh, and we will. Be, and we will be. Oh, what we have? Are we going to make picks for the month? Or? Yes, no, yes. For yes. God's sake, jeez! This is why we bring him around because uh, we forget everything. Everybody on track. Okay, he does. I know. Okay, uh, why don't we let uh, Alicia go first? Yeah. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Virginia okay, Woolf. Nice. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, and it's such a great thing to see on the big screen and get totally engrossed in the dialogue so so wednesday march 27th so you have plenty of time even when this uh is coming out you still have a couple weeks before that one um jules what do you think cartoon club obviously but you have another pick well i mean it would have been skate town usa but yeah it's passed, that, that, that's past yeah. so i'm going to pivot to something i have not seen at oh. all and i'm going to go with the the rodeo double jw mm. coops so nice phil what do you think it. I'm torn. I clearly love the Slumber Party Massacre Sorority House Massacre Double Bill, mm-hmm. um, which I've done a couple times. But I think I'm going to pick the Ravenous Matinee because I think that is going to be a big rediscovery for a lot of people. Just like Elric, I think yeah. a lot of people were underwhelmed on how it was sold in 99, and I think it has aged particularly well. Cool. Good one. Elric? Jeez, did you already pick? I didn't pick. You go first. Oh, damn it. Because I've got multiple options. <laughs> I do too. I that's why you do the. You have to do the. So oh, actually, yeah, stuff. that's hard. Are you doing outfit? Oh, uh, boy. Um. Well, I mean, this is why our shows are three hours because, like, an yeah. hour of it's just us going. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm leaning. I was leaning towards Point Blank in the outfit, but I think I'm going to come back to my original pick when I saw the calendar, and that's Young Frankenstein and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Mm. I just think that is such a perfect double feature and so funny and just. You know, joyous, absolutely joyous. 
Uh, I'm going to push people to, I mean, I think if there's a single Memphis, there will just because probably no one's really seen it. But I'm going to push to the um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest double, largely because it's one of the best films ever made, being paired with a movie you'll never get to see again. So let's go check out what is the world of Julius Verder and find out what it is. I'm very curious. Yes. Uh, and, sit by Lyric Larry Karaszewski when he goes yeah. to that one. So thank you, uh, New Beverly, for sponsoring the show, and thank yes. you uh, for going to their movies. Or uh, I love my favorite are the people who write to us from even Australia. Uh, somebody, a Cinematheque in Melbourne, somebody who worked there, wrote to me saying, "Oh yeah, we follow your show and look <laughs> at what they're playing." And so I'm like, "That's really cool." But thank you for listening. Yeah. Uh, and and if you do any of these doubles from home, let us know. It's always fun to hear. Um, I'm sure the programmers would get a kick out of that. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so thanks for joining us, and we will. Uh, you'll get a, our next episode's coming on the heels of this uh, very soon. Uh, it's already in the bag, and can, should we tell them what? It is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We are are playing off uh, the concept that started in this calendar, where we often read the words "kitty" and "midnight" next to each other. So we thought, why not uh, try to program kids' film with a midnight movie as double features? And we have uh, uh, Millie DeCherico from another Turner Classic yeah. person from yeah. TCM Underground joining us. She was the perfect guest for this she topic. She <laughs> knows so much about these movies. And it was probably one of the most fun ones I think we've done in a long time because the Fantastic. topics are just, you can go in so many directions. So look out for that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. We'll see you next month for the next calendar. Yeah.